Are you ready? Okay, Smokey. Roll him. <laughs> That's silly. Shoot him now! Shoot him now! And welcome to That's Not Quite All Folks, the Lean Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hallam, joined by... And I'm Jordan Schmidt. And folks, we've been doing this for two years, and we have finally hit the big 100 episodes. I don't know about you, Mark. I cannot believe we actually did this long enough to get to 100. Oh, oh yes. Does this mean this is the episode that finally gets us to uh, turn a profit? Really? <laughs> oh. oh, oh, oh! Well, there's no point now. This is our last episode. Now, okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing this for a hundred episodes, and I hope they've all been fun. They've been fun for me, except for the really bad ones, like last week's. Oh, but it was, you know. I love that we've had fun on this show each week for either good or bad reasons. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's, it's some been weeks, something. It's like, oh, damn. Really good shorts this week. Other times it's like, Daffy Duck <laughs> thinks that's a horse. It is clearly not a horse. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, we decided to make things easier for ourselves this week by... Uh, each of us, you know, because this is a big 100th episode. First of all, this is a super-sized episode. This is, like, twice the length of the usual one or around the same length as some of our, like, big movie or special ones. Yeah, um, yeah. We wanted to make things easy for ourselves, so we each curated three shorts that we've been meaning to talk about and haven't gotten a chance to do yet, and we're going to talk about them here and just enjoy ourselves. Like... There's no way these can really do us wrong. Nah. <laughs> Again, just the shorts we've always wanted to cover, but never yeah. got around to it. Ones that, yeah. you know, that, that we would have fun talking about. And uh, yeah. the first three that uh, um, that we're looking at are uh, my selections, because yes. I created the show, so I get first dibs. Yeah, you go first. Works. Fine. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Me. <laughs> So, the first three shorts we're covering are Water, Water, Every Hair, The Stupid Cupid, and Carrot Blanca. And the three that I selected for this episode were um, Hair Force, Baby Buggy Bunny, and The Last Hungry Cat. So we all did some really eclectic shorts, doing a lot of different things over the course of the history of the Warner Animation Group. And going as far as the 90s, going as early as the 40s, we have a lot of really good choices here. And hopefully you guys are going to enjoy what we have to say about it. Yeah. And will there be special guest appearances? No. God, no. 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 Ain't crazy? No. We're not. No. No. Ah, uh, yeah. So we're going to be talking some cartoons. You'll be taking your questions, you know, some... Really highly anticipated questions that hopefully you guys sent in. 
We hopefully. totally aren't recording this before we ask questions. Yeah, so hopefully this is going to be... Oh, how many questions, Mark, did we get, Mark? Zero. Zero. <laughs> and where can you find... No, no, no. No. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> All right, shall we get into it? I think we might as well before we piss each other off, even before we start going. Um... All right. So, the first show we're covering today is Water, Water Everywhere. Came out on April 19th, 1952. Because what happened on that day? Nothing. Uh, this was directed by Chuck Jones, ran by Michael Maltese, because of course it was. And this short is a... People call it a semi-remake of Hair Raising Hair. I, I personally it feel it's a little bit more than that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I do. There is some reprisals, but it's mostly its own yeah, thing. You know, I feel like there's the established continuity that a lot of it works because he's gone through these events with Water Water Every Hair. So, like, he knows Gossamer and he knows these kind of – in, in hair, hair Raising Hair. So he knows Gossamer. He knows what to do. And it sort of builds off of that. I don't think it's complete, like, recon and, and, and reboot of it. So this short is the second appearance of the monster character. Um, here he's named Rudolph. Rudolph. Where, of course, he wouldn't get the gospel name until return to the, to the 24th and a half century. Yeah, that would work super well for him as well. I, I sure wish that fact was in a better cartoon. But, yeah. You know, there's a six-year gap between Harry's and Hair and this short release. And... A section of this cartoon was in Daffy Duck's Quackbusters. It was yeah. um, during one of the commercials. Yeah. And even, also, then, even then, yeah. No, I was going to say also that same section of, of Bugs jumping around the room, it was also used in like, I think it was like an intro to, Bug, to the Bugs Bunny show. So like that section is pretty famous outside of this cartoon of, of Bugs looking around going, oh, where am I? You know, what's up, what's up, Doc? You know, what's going on here? It's great. And the reason for inclusion I wrote this in mine. I don't know why, but the reason for the inclusion, it's a short that I've always loved equally to Harry's in here. I, n- I never really mm-hmm. found one better than I always found them of equal strengths of good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, a short begins, first of all, how nice of them to int- that we're introducing our first short with our own theme song because what plays <laughs> under the title sequence is What's Up Docs. That's yeah, very nice. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. <laughs> So we're introduced to the dilemma, which is, it's raining outside. It just, there's Straight. tons of rain and water everywhere. And we go into Bugs Bunny's home, and his home is flooded. Yeah. To the point where he can't even sleep. Literally, as he is sleeping, he's he keeps being lifted up by the water pressure. His The blanket goes one way, he goes the other. And I love this blanket bit because... I love that they do everything possible with it without repeating a single gag. It's all different. Yeah. It's like seven gags of what can happen if Bugs is underwater with a blanket. And it's all really good. I love that the water's actually animated. Yeah. Because I think um, in the Keanu Arthur Court um, special, they illustrate a water by just putting an effect over the animation. Here, it's actual, actually animated water over the frame. (laughs) Well, here they actually tried. So, you know, they didn't yes. need to try in the 70s and 80s. 
Um, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I love this bit because like, like, like it's it's just little gags like Bugs eventually going over and getting something from the water cooler, not realizing he's covered in water. He, Bugs is very funny even when he's not 100% aware of what's going on around him. And this is one of the best of those because he's just very like subconsciously walking around as if it's any other day. And it's very clearly like flooding his house. So eventually his, his, his mattress gets flooded out of his home, flows down to a, a, the, the river essentially... As we pan and see a castle with the neon lights <laughs> glowing of evil scientist, Boo. I think that's honestly one of my favorite Looney Tunes sign gags of all time. And it's also just in time with the music. Evil scientist, Boo. Evil scientist, Boo. It's great. It's great. Uh... And we're introduced to our evil scientist of the picture. Um, in Hair Raising Hair, it was Peter Lorre. And this, it's close to a Boris Karloff. Yeah, it's Boris Karloff, pretty much. Oh, but don't worry. We we will get Peter Lorre yeah. in, in a couple of shots. <laughs> so, he has this giant metal man. And he needs... A brain for it. It's a real Tin Man situation. You know, I was gonna say, I was. A, you it's know, a brain. You know, is there another? Is there a lion that that, that he's trying to get the noise into in the next room? <laughs> yeah, it's just a just a, scare, just a, a scarecrow who's trying to. Yeah. Oh wait, no, scarecrow wanted the brain. Well, this just completely <laughs> ruins my sort of us joke. God damn it. Anyway. You know, <laughs> we're going to get angry letters from Mike in a couple of days. I'm outraged. Yeah. yeah. What do you want? Mike doesn't actually sound like that, folks. He is an actual person and not a stereotype, and Italians are people, too. Let's make that clear. Italians yeah. are people, too. Is there anything you take away from this show? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thanks. It's A, Lutians are great, and B, Italians are people too. Italians <laughs> are people too. And C, Scooby Doo had something to do with the JFK assassination. I don't know oh, yeah, yeah. Something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, the evil scientist looks at his window, sees that Bugs is going to stream, goes, Ah, rabbit. I can use that. So, as soon as the mattress is about to fall up into the abyss, pretty much. Um, the evil scientist gets bugs, reels him in, and <laughs> I was like, okay, well, guess this is going to be my experiment. So, yeah. so bugs is, he's, he's knocked out. He's sleeping throughout all of this. Yeah. And the scientist puts bugs down, like, okay, here, I'm going to set the preparations. And bugs just pulls on a yeti. No, no. A yeti? Either. A Yeti? No. no. Mark, did you miss, like, that? did you not take Monsters 101 at school? This is a Yeti. This is a mummy. Learn the difference or you fail the class. No, John, I didn't attend Monsters High. Sorry. <laughs> we scared. So, Bugs <laughs> opens, Bugs are like a mummy. The mummy lands on Bugs. Bugs wakes up, notices there's a mummy there. And I just love this whole sequence. Oh, yeah, it's great. Mostly for most performance of just 
bugs screaming. What's up, Doc? What? What's going on around here? Where is? Where am I anyway? But just him like landing on like a, a sarcophagus, and then another robot, and then the, the evil scientist, and just just horrified of what's going on here. Puck <laughs> just runs off, and the evil scientist then says, uh, "Delays, delays, nothing but delays." Which is, I guess, this was before they they added that to um, Marvin the Martian. Yeah, I thought like someone's trying out some bits for a certain Martian. The scientist then reveals the monster, and it's like, oh, come on, Rudolph. Here's a bunny. I still love that the, the Gossamer has, still has the door marked monster. Like, we, <laughs> we should just label everything in this castle. Monster. Yeah, just, just so I know where that is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, oh, get it, and I'll give you a spider souffle or whatever. And then he's, he's a happy about that. Goulash. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then uh, Bugs is running around the castle. He comes to a moat filled with alligators, and Bugs is like, oh, I'm going to back away from that. And he's praying, runs into, into um, Gossamer. He's like, think fast, Rabbit. My stars, where did you ever get that awful hairdo? And then Millie goes into a bit about being a, uh, a hairdresser. The timing of this. Of Bugs going think fast rabbit and then going right back into his hairdresser character is wonderful. I, I and just this whole bit is again it, it leaps right off of the bit from um, hair raising hair. Um, it, it, I love the wry little smile that forms across Gossamer's face as Bugs does him up. <laughs> like oh I'm yeah, it's like you. oh oh biopen he gracefully gives Bugs a bobby pin and he's like, ah, no, no, this will never work. <laughs> never underestimate villain characters' inability to realize they're being put on by Bugs in this and just going right into it. And also there's a line, because again, Bugs is like, oh, well, one second, goes off, goes, gets some TNT, comes back, he's literally lit TNT as like hair rollers in Gospel's Fur. <laughs> and look, I love Bugs' line. Now I've got to give an interesting old lady a manicure, but I'll be back before you're done. Here's a hair reference. Here's a hair reference. Perhaps. Continuity. Uh, yeah, I just love, love Bugs' little like la da 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 da. I'll be back before you're done. I love that as he's like skipping out of frame so he doesn't get exploded. I get it. It's a little thing. His body's enjoying this. That that's what that's what really sells it. <laughs> we then go into the um the I guess the scientist's what, kitchen. I guess the his, yeah. his um his lab his potion room, and and this is where we get the the um, invisibility uh, like we were essentially you know current like bugs invisible. Bugs saying, hey, not bad, hey, well, it works. As Gosser comes well, around the corner. I mean, I will say, I have emulated Bugs is not bad without thinking several times. Like, it's one of those that just goes into my regular vocabulary. But, like, I like portions of this gag while Bugs is invisible because I like how just 
sudden how sudden props just move because we can't see bugs and so we just see a chair come to lift it up or another like th a hammer come into frame and it's great <laughs> yeah so uh, eventually through the power of invisibility a uh, bug is able to slam a trash can on gossamer knock <laughs> knock on it with the of the mallets and as gossamer is being pissed off a bugs gets Oh, it was like shrinkage, like some sort of yeah. It's it's like a, a sort, sort of, of thing. A, a, a diminishing fluid or something. Yeah, it just pours on Gossamer. Gossamer gets small, which I, I, you know, I would say good animation on Gossamer going small. It's very seamless, very nice. But I also just love the look on his face when he realizes he's been shrunk. He just his eyes get very big. He's like mm -hmm. <laughs> just sort of <laughs> just just walks walks behind frame. I love how he walks behind frame. And he comes out with a suit and a suit and a suitcase. You don't know where he, <laughs> he got had it. those little small ones like out of frame just in case this would ever happen. <laughs> yeah, it just Go goes into a mouse hole, goes in there, kicks out the mouse, shuts the door, says, I quit on it on a sign. And then we get the mouse, takes out a little bit of alcohol and goes. Well, it's so silly. This is why you have no Michael stinks. Maltese write things. Yeah. So eventually, Bug is like, "Well, that's just care of the hair hey, going on." As it turns out, that the scientist has hair remover, hair restorer. I love that. It's such a good gag. Yeah, just having fun, guys. We're having fun. <laughs> just like, yeah, they will. We'll call it hair restore. The guy, yeah. I get it. The gag mentality is wonderful here. Yeah. And then we get the best part of the short. Where, oh my god. Um, you know, the scientist has an axe. He's going to kill Bugs. He throws the axe. Bugs dodges. It hits some, some chemical. It hits some... Um, Ether, yeah. Which Ether. is like just a... a it's like a, a, a... It's like a drug, like an anesthetic. Which... Slows everything down. <laughs> so, first of all, great performance from from Mel. Just has to talk very slowly. It's great and and slightly drunkenly, yeah, yeah. And and this is me. I, I don't know how many times you watched the short, you noticed it. But the music is slowed down William Tell Overture. Yes. I noticed that too. That was great. Because in any other chase sequence, it would be a high-paced William Tell. And how it just... Come back here, you rabbit. I just love how we have like a conventional bugs gag during a chase where a bugs would stick his leg out and trip someone. Yeah. Except it's in slow motion. So he just falls and is in midair, shrugs. Goes to sleep. Maybe not. Yeah. We also, I, I love the shot of drugged out bugs roaming the countryside against the moonlight. That's a beautiful shot. Ah. Uh. One perfect shot, that's what that oh, is. Oh, yeah, no, clearly. Uh, not ironically, yeah. And we're right back where we started. 
Yes. Bugs goes back into his home. It's still flooded. <laughs> He's at ease. And then he wakes up, goes, whoa, 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 what's going on? And it's like, oh, it must have been a nightmare. As small gossamer in a <laughs> tiny boat goes, yeah, that's what you think. It's <laughs> such a great ending. <laughs> yeah. It's so silly. Oh. I really, really like this one. I really did. The yeah. one complaint I had, the one complaint I have, which which is funny considering that Harry's hair has more than a minute. I've got gone for like one or two more gossamer jokes, honestly. Yeah, but I liked every single bit of the one we had, and I they had a lot like to fit into this one and and structure it. So so I, I get it. Yeah, this is a life of Buzz cartoon. Um, I, I do know how it takes. Was doing the Harry's in here, and it does do it do it justice. You know, it's a yeah. good companion piece to it. It's not, you know, a lesser sequel, unlike some Chuck Jones directed shorts that have Gossamer in it. It also it, it's very indicative of, but like his like Harry's in here is very good as a mid forties short because it's very much in the mentalities of more yeah. zaniness and ridiculousness and just just off the cuff funny stuff. Whereas this one is a more lawful Jones Maltese one where it's more slightly composed and, and more a bit, not formulaic, but like it's, it's a bit more pinned down and it still works in the way of how things were going in, in 1952 versus in the mid forties. And I think it still is a really good bugs cartoon. And it, it, it's just as funny as it always was to me. Cause I watched this a lot as a kid and it's very well paced little to no notes here. I think this is still fantastic. I'm giving this a 4.5 out of 5 anvils. Why do you always do this? You, 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 you see perfection, and you go, well, you see, this isn't perfect, uh, because of this one thing that, that it still isn't a completely a problem. You, you, you did this with one froggy evening. You did this... You've been doing this the entire time we've been doing this show. I, I'm giving this a 5 out of 5, because I am a cultured, smart person. It doesn't get, take off points for things it can't control. Happy 100th episode. We're arguing now. Yeah. I want a divorce. <laughs> oh, lordy. So, <laughs> now we get into the section called Mark really accidentally made this first part of the 100th episode about him, didn't he? Because... <laughs> oh, these next two... These next release dates. My god. All right. Oh dear. <laughs> and oh, you did boy. this accidentally as well, right? It was accidentally. Yeah. These are two shorts I wanted to cover, and it just so happens. Like, oh, okay. So, the next short we're covering is uh, The Stupid Cupid. It came out in November of 1944. Don't you mean the 25th of November of 1924? Yes, the 25th of November, 1944. Yeah. Um, that's my birthday. It is. That's 51 years before I was born to the day. Wow. And who was born on that day? A lot of people. Ben Stein. Well, there were a couple. Well, actually. civilly 1944. Ben yeah. Stein, um, who's appeared in the Project Stas, Chris Bueller, The Fairly Odd Parents, totally isn't controversial at all, uh, was born no, on isn't, that day in year. You know, 
is in both the mask movies and doesn't have a punchable face at all. Um, I've actually got another um, on this day birthday, and I'm on this day death as well for 44. Um, Bev Beaven, who is most famously the drummer for the Electric Light Orchestra, was born on this day. Um, That's nice. Yeah, I mean, we were just very recently making ELO jokes, and now the drummer was born on this day. Um, and a death on this day was um, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was the, I believe, the first or one of the first commissioners of baseball. And, like, a lot of the... Um, there's a lot of... of of, of stuff he did that like you can look back at it now and it's like okay these were clearly contemporarily you can tell he was a little bit racist but um the most famous thing that he's known for <laughs> was being the commissioner that um essentially outlawed the 1919 chicago white Sox from ever having a stake in the game again because you know the 1919 white Sox essentially threw the world series and because of this, Kennesaw Mountain Land is basically, okay, you guys can't play baseball again. You guys will never be Hall of Famers. You guys will die in, in infamy. And it's a very big move in history, in baseball history. But a very famous name in baseball history, Kennesaw Mountain Lambs. So that was, died on that day. But yeah, this was a, a Mark day. <laughs> yes. And just so I can flex it a bit more. Also okay. born on November 25th, Eagles quarterback Donovan McNabb, um, Mark Brown of the Arthur of the Arthur books, yeah. Which I think I already knew that, but it was nice to be reminded. Like, oh, I'm not the only MARC who was born on November 25th. That's yeah. cool. And uh, Barbara Bush, uh, not not that one, the daughter of George W. Bush, also born on oh, okay. November 25th. So the stupid Cupid. Is the first Warner Brothers cartoon to use the Warner Brothers Pictures Inc. on the opening titles. Mm. So yeah, they, they, they graduated from, oh, we don't really associate ourselves with the shorts, to, yes, they are a part of us. Which is good. good. That's a good thing. <laughs> About time. And um, Elmer Fudd is in this. Mm-hmm. But Arthur Q. Bryant isn't. Um, yeah. Because all Elmer does is his laugh, and because anyone can do his laugh, they just brought Frank Grant, Frank Graham in to voice Elmer. I forget. Did you say who directed this yet? Oh yeah, it's directed by Frank Tashlin. Remember Warren Foster? Hey. <laughs> oh. Okay. Sorry, I, I I missed that part apparently. But yeah. Yeah. So we're back to the Tashlin shorts. It's been Woo. a long time since we recorded Frank Tashlin short. Um, yeah, but like the ones we've done have been pretty good. So, this short is infamous, quotation marks, because apparently the ending to this short is either lost or something. There's yeah. something about this cartoon that doesn't feel complete. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And we'll get there, and, and we'll get there when we get there, but yeah, that's a very odd thing. We begin with. Elmer Fudd dressed up like Cupid. I gotta say, this is a very silly setup to a cartoon. It's just Elmer Fudd bouncing around laughing as Cupid. Like, okay, we know what we're in for. This looks like a complete goof. 
And he, he sees there's a bird just singing to himself. So Elmer, like Cupid, takes out his arrow. <laughs> and we see what I can only call the five stages of fetishes. The head, yeah. the neck, the chest, the stomach, and the feet. Boy, howdy. Um, and because, you know, it's like, oh, it's like an aiming thing. Like, oh, we're, of course it doesn't matter. It's just a stupid. Yeah, it's going to go to the ass anyway. <clears throat> yep. So, Bert gets shot at. And he immediately, like a war plane, because he literally transitions into a wartime plane. Ow, oh, back in the 40s. Yeah, I mean, again, just a little bit of uh, propaganda in there. Just uh, rallying fun, rallying fun. American jets are the best. We are better yeah. than everyone. Okay, back to the short. Yeah. Um, Lockheed is the greatest. The uh, Join the army, something, something, Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, this was Jordan's last episode before the FBI found him and murdered him. <laughs> um, yeah, and just the word find another bird. They And he builds a house in rapid speed, and they live in the house. We then go to a different transition of a Cupid shooting an arrow to a horse, and the horse looks like a horse. God yes, damn it. it's actually a well-animated horse. Yes, for once. Uh, and the horse just, in, in kind of that trademark Tashin style of running, he's running to another horse, but it's just a flash, and like the horse's mouth. Yeah. That's very passionate. Very good. I, I mean, just this, just in general, the speed of this our cartoons animation is fantastic. I've given fourteens, uh, I've, I've given forties car- cartoon character. I'm not speaking. I've given forties cartoons shit for being too edgy at times, but this is the right kind of speed and the right kind of insanity because I think Tashlin had the sort of the the balance down between being too lightning fast or too uncontrollable and i think he really like that this this works yeah so we then get a scene of a cat and a dog chasing each other they go into a fight cuba shoots the arrow and i'm just gonna say it's hector the dog hector the dog all of a sudden becomes I want to marry you. Be mine. Now I've seen everything. Forever. I love you. Love you. I also, I, I want to mention that if you can tell during this uh, cat-dog uh, chase sequence, you can hear a little bit of the um, of the score um, from Gorilla My Dreams in the background. Sort of. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. So, yeah. Yeah, so the dog's just professing his love to the cats. And the cat just goes, well, now I've seen everything. And he proceeds to kill himself nine times. Nine times? Nine times. <laughs> I gotta say, they do this now I've seen everything kill self joke a million times in this era. But honestly, I think this is one of the better ones because there's a subversion. I think yeah. they've done enough of them that like they it, it had been like predictable. So now there's an actual subversion of just like all nine lives. Like that's honestly a lot funnier and it's a lot less edgy. It's also a, a lot more funnier than um, from an itch in time. The cartoon just yeah. ends with the cat killing himself. And you see the dead corpse a mile away. Like that's the end of the cartoon. It's like, yeah, this is at least sillier. This is silly. Exactly. And then we go to Daffy. 
Yes. And, you know, Davy's just living his life. He's, you know, he's, you know, singing a song about, you know, his heart's not just a piece of paper. He has feelings. Feelings. And Cupid is shooting, is ready to shoot the arrow. And then just immediately. Say, keep your arrows out of other people's businesses. Buster. And it's just a full fluid animation, like like just cutting off Elmer, like 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 it's like a shape thing, like really cool. Yeah, yeah. This like, is the clip. This is the clip I saw online that made me go, "Oh, this is actually pretty interesting." Because it's yeah. animation and it's different and it's good. And those angles and how Daffy is drawn. He's drawn very angular. Ang- angular is yeah. a word. Um, angular? Yes, that's the word. That's the word. And I just love this narrative. Because I was like, listen, you got me last year and look what happened. I love this narrative that Daffy was forced at gunpoint to marry. Then we cut to a bunch of children. Including a picture of an egg. A picture of an egg. A picture. Like, uh, one of them has two heads. <laughs> In, oh, so it was inbreeding. Oh, you see, you went inbreeding. I went, um, damn, where's that story of Daffy playing around in nuclear waste? Yeah, I was going to go Chernobyl next, but yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, here's a question. Because lately we've been kind of surprised on who they bring back into the Looney Tune lore. Where will these characters be brought back in Looney production? You know, um, where's the story of Daffy's long lost children looking for their inheritance in the Duck Fortune? And as I just read that, I realized I just summarized DuckTales. Yeah, you did. <laughs> where's DuckTales with Daffy? Something. He did say he didn't want anything involving three nephews in Space Jam, I think. Oh, that's right, yeah. Three adorable nephews. <laughs> just... Yeah, and Daffy's like, yeah, no, get out of here. Yeah, the, you, you bareback bandit. <laughs> that's a Trojan line. Oh, God, the bareback, <laughs> bareback bandit. Bareback bandit. The bareback sure. bandit. And I just love that the delivery of Scram! It just shoves, shoves the, um, um, keep its hat down, shoots Elmer across the way, into like a tree and then Elmer takes its body back and just the gremlin like animation of Elmer like evil Elmer yeah it's very off-putting but it works it it, it kind of does for this so Elmer then decides to shoot a ginormous arrow straight at Daffy and yeah. it's so big that it hits Daffy it shoots Daffy all the way down the farm, goes through plenty of hen houses until he lands into a tree. <laughs> and I just love the again, it takes its time. Like, okay, he's gonna first he's gonna crash out of the tree. But his bill is stuck in the wood. He's then gonna slowly get his hand out, turns it around. For a sound effect joke. It's just silly. For silliness. For silliness sake. Silly. Yeah. We spend so much time for silliness. Which, again, it, it's appreciated at a time like this. And, 
Yeah, so eventually, uh, Daffy falls in love with a chicken. And what's so fun, what's so much fun is, because this is in the 40s, and Foghorn Leghorn wasn't a thing yet, we can now see this different story of what would happen if Daffy fell in love with a chicken. Because this is a Foghorn Leghorn cartoon. It, first of all, it would have been in the 60s, because that's a 60s mm-hmm. idea. It's like, oh, what if Daffy fell in love with a chicken if Foghorn Leghorn was there? It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. We, we literally saw that in the Easter special. That's <laughs> what would yeah. happen if... Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, we then get, uh, Daffy harasses a chicken for four, four minutes. <laughs> that's yeah. Actually, that pretty much was this cartoon. I even said something in here. This feels like an early incarnation of some Pepe Le Pew gags. And, um, I mean, it does them well. And I like that, that Daffy is the complete, like, running after people and then trying to seduce this chicken. And there's a lot of, again, it's Tashler, so there's a lot of very fluid gags. Yeah, I do love the, the chick, 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 almost Groucho look Daffy gives the yeah. camera every time he's about to chase the chicken. It's nice. Yeah. It's very nice. So we then are introduced to the rooster's husband named Rocco. And Rocco is ready to, to essentially beat up Daffy. He eventually splits them uh, apart. And it was like a very obvious cut between the Rocco getting them. Because it's like he's holding Daffy from the left side. But then there's a hard cut, and then Daffy's thrown to the right side of the screen. So some, something was lost there, I think, which, okay, fine, whatever. That, that, that's not the uh, kind yeah. of outfit. Well, I mean, given the theme, yeah. So Daffy snaps out of it. He's like, wait a minute, hold on. It wasn't, it was that stupid Cupid. Ah. Nah, roll credits. I just love the, the quick succession of, I'm a family man. Cut to Daffy in a car with the family. Fully animated in I love color, that. just briefly. I <laughs> Daffy love that. Taking his hat out, <laughs> just like yeah, see, Go- goes away. Daffy immediately comes back <laughs> to the barn. Great timing. It's just fantastic timing. Yeah, it's just it just moves so well. Yeah, eventually, you know, David, listen, just give me a chance. I swear, I won't do it again. And Rocco's like, okay, fine. It's really an accident. That's fine. Um, and for a second, you think Daffy's gonna win, uh, I guess. You know, it's like, okay, well, good. I'll take care of what swell guy. He really is really but of good. Of course, and then, this, this you know, has to have a funny ending, so. Yeah, so. Cupid is right behind a tree, shoots Daffy with an arrow, and we get great just angular animation of Daffy's body swinging back and forth. Great usage of the siren sound effect from, from this era as Tabby just runs back into the barn. As here we realize that the rooster's name is Emily. Emily. Wait a minute. Wait. That's my sister's name. This is in room 25th. What did this short know and when did it know it? What the it's hell? It's too crazy. It's too insane. Yeah. Anyways, so Davy just runs right in, is is kissing um, Emily as Rocco thinks he's kissing him, but it's and you know the, the the Emily just taps Rocco on the shoulder. Rocco notices it. There's a 
forced horn blast as it just fades to black. Apparently, that's not the ending. Good, because it's really abrupt, and it, it caught me really off guard. And I've looked to see if anyone, like, found it. They haven't yet. Or maybe they never will. I don't know. So the original ending involved Daffy saying, if you haven't tried it, don't knock it. <laughs> that was it. It was just one line. Which, was that... Was that a three-way joke, maybe? Like, I hey, think it was referring to Daffy's bisexuality. Like, no, but he's, but he's not kissing Rocco. He's kissing Emily's. Well, then I'm not sure. Mm. Look, either way, the censors seem to nix that line, and you know, it kind of ruins the pacing of the end of this. So, this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel the. No, it's, it's so strange. You don't realize you haven't seen a fashion cartoon in a while until you watch one years, like, months and months later. It's like, oh, yeah, these are, like, really fast. And, yeah, well, that's his whole thing. And they don't stop, and they keep going. Yeah, that's his whole thing. Um, I, do, I do feel... Okay, I'm going to compare hmm. this to Porky Pig's Feet, which is entirely unfair. Porky Pig's Feet is a damn good cartoon. Yeah. I feel... If Porky Pig's feet, that had a bit better pacing. Yes. You know, where it will be with the characters a little bit more. There was a little bit more gag work, so I, I do enjoy that one more. Mm-hmm. But I, I really do like just just the insanity of it. Just Oh my god, yeah. Elmer's it's... Cupid. Daffy's here. Roll with it. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, I didn't think this was perfect, but to me, when it achieved its peak energy in the middle of this... It was really good, and a lot of just amazing Tashlin stuff and energy stuff, and you can tell he really knows how to direct Daffy now to get the funny out of him. I wish this had a better ending, and I wish they didn't spend as much time on the proof of concept uh, gags, but um, this is pretty good. Uh, solid Tashlin one from this era. Yeah, I'm giving this a 3.5 out of 5 anvils. That's exactly what I'm giving it. It's pretty good, not amazing, but... The energy it has lifts it above a lot of other stuff from this era for me. And now, the short I really, really wanted to cover. So, oh, yeah. last short here of my selection is Carrot Blanca. Yeah. It came out on August 25th, 1995. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! That's exactly three months to before I was born. What the hell is going on? <laughs> I to misquote Carly Simon, I accidentally made the the episode about me. It's not even your vanity either. No, it's it's it just so happens. Um, yeah, it ran August twenty fifth, nineteen ninety five. Um, in terms of what happened on that day, besides me chilling and ooze. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not on that day, I don't know. Well, when you put it like that. <laughs> like that. It's a real uh, TMNT situation. Um, that wasn't even out that year. But the number one song in the U.S. on that week was Kiss from a Rose by Steel. Oh, my God. <laughs> Baby, I can take a to a kiss from a rose by Now that your rose is in bloom, 
the light hits the moon on the rain Baby, I compare you to a kiss from the rain Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I have nothing against that song. I think it's a great song. Oh. I think, first of all, it's on the Batman Forever soundtrack, which is a great soundtrack. Like, there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. But, like, it's unironically a great song. And while I prefer other Seal songs, like uh, Crazy or Future Love Paradise or Killer or other stuff, I you can't deny how good the Kiss from a Rose is. And... It's it's yeah. a, it's it was, a meme basically, but um, yeah, it was it was inescapable <clears throat> at the time, and I I love that Seal King back because we haven't talked about Seal since the Space Jam episode with his yeah. cover of Fly Like an Eagle, which totally sounds like Fly Like an Eagle and nothing yes. else. Yeah. <laughs> it's all I, I do love that cover as well. I'm just looking at some of the yeah. other stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was on the charts that week. Um, uh, TLC's Waterfalls and... Oh, what's this oh, nice. at number three in the U.S.? It's Shaggy with Boombastic. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as literally this morning... Dude, this morning... um, I had um, a 2K on on the... Um, on the serious, okay. and sure enough, um, it wasn't me played on the radio. <laughs> it's a classic. I'm like, this is a sign. This is a sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the listeners are now going. Please, for the love of God, don't play that song again. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, and then. Ugh. Number one in the UK was was a take that song that we don't really need to talk about because CO one. Um, number four in the UK was Blur um, with Country House, which is cool. Like it's remember back in the nineties when alt rock bands actually used to chart, and like uh, like actual cool alt rock music was like popular. Take me back, man. So, oh my, you know what I just noticed. Well, I I the purpose. <laughs> The first episode, it was uh, that Booper Bunny was supposed to air in theaters, but didn't. Hundredth episode, nineties Lindon short aired in theaters. Uh, All full circle, kind of sort of. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Hey, d- d- is it clear which movie this premiered with? Oh yes. Uh, well, it depends on where you lived. Mm. If you lived in the U.S., it was with the Amazing Panda Adventure. Oh Christ! And 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 if you're in international waters, the Pebble and the Penguin. Advantage UK. Yeah. I mean, it's not my favorite Bluth, but it's better than the Amazing Panda Adventure, I think. Yeah, that's one of those VHSs I always saw Blockbuster and went. I have no interest in this movie because it's literally the cover is just little Chinese boy, panda. Jungle, the amazing panda yeah. adventures. Like, okay, I don't know. What the, now, if that cover had a sticker on that said, "There's a new Looney Tunes cartoon in this," yeah, I, I would have rented it thousands of times. But uh, there's no. a whole genre that is literally just child character travels around the world with animal. 
like there's a million of these there's there's the movie alaska there's there's andre which is with a seal there's monkey trouble and also dunstan checks in there's fly away home and, and operation dumbo drop there's um the free willy movies there's the homeward bound movies it, this was a whole thing and thank God that died in the 2000s. Though, not thankful that the idea of Warner Brothers putting shorts for other films, that sucks that that died out, though. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty good. Now, this one, the Carablanca, um, wasn't made for an anniversary of anything. By the way, it's a parody of the movie Casablanca, if you couldn't tell. That's yeah. what it is. It's a parody of Casablanca. Now, now just so I know, had you, did you see this before you saw Casablanca or the other way around? Oh, I've seen this short before I saw Casablanca. Okay. And that I saw this short for the show and I haven't seen Casablanca. So. Oh, you haven't seen Casablanca? No, oh. I haven't seen Casablanca. <laughs> All right, then. I should, though. You definitely should. Because it's an it's excellent movie. It's on streaming movie. services. It's on it's, HBO Max. It's on HBO Max? I, it's a Warner Brothers film. I, I assume it is. I don't think it's on HBO Max. I know this short is on HBO Max, which is very weird. Like, well, let's just, let me just consult HBO Max real quick. Because I don't think this is on there. I could be very wrong. But, um, also this short wasn't on there either. I'm very annoyed by that because... I mean, you can find the show online, but it's not like, you know, HD quality. That sucks, because, like, uh, I want to watch these the best quality possible. I couldn't By the way, Casablanca is, in fact, on HBO Max, so. Of course. Uh, of course. Though what's funny, what what's funny about all this is that when they made this short, Casablanca wasn't owned by Warner Brothers. Oh. <laughs> it, was, um, it was owned by Turner. Oh. It was owned by Turner at the time. But literally less than a year later, Warner bought the Turner Library, so they, they were able to get Casablanca. So Good. It, it's this weird thing where they made a parody of a classic Warner Brothers movie before Warner Brothers owned the rights to said movie. But what's also interesting about this is um, this is a Looney Tune short that's not made by um, Terry Lynn and Greg Ford, not made by the Chuck Jones division of that time. This short was done by the Warner Brothers feature animation crew and written and directed by the Animaniacs people. You know, I could tell. Oh, could you tell? I really <laughs> could tell. And I mean that as a compliment as well. Because I love the Animaniacs. But I could tell this was the same people. What gave it away that the composer for this short was Richard Stone? Because of course it was. Oh yeah, that might have done it. But what's, what's funny, though, about... Because we're just like, oh, it's not on HBO Max. But what is great is if you buy Casablanca on any current format, DVD, HD DVD when that was a thing, yeah. Blu-ray, digital. I looked it up last night. If you buy Casablanca on a digital store that has extras, Casablanca is there. Good. Which is great. It's like it's like when we did um, Robin Hood Daffy. Where yeah. like if you buy it's Robin Hood anywhere, Robin Hood Daffy's there. Good. That's you, you don't have to do that, 
but it's nice. Well, I'll tell you this. When I took my film appreciation class in high school and we watched Casablanca, afterwards we did, in fact, watch Carrot Blanca because it was on the disc. Nice. And so, Fantastic. And it's great. Like it's, it, it, If you love the movie like I do, then it's a really great representation of it. But, you know, that's, that's for much more profound culture. But. So, like I said, this is Dominic Anime X Crew. It was directed by Douglas McCarthy and Spike Brandt. Ah, there we go. There's a familiar yeah. name. Yeah. Written by yeah. Timothy Cahill and Julie McNally. The voice cast for this production is the people who were doing Looney Tunes at this time. So you got Greg Burson as Bugs, Foghorn, uh-huh. Pepper Le Pew, Joe Alasky as Daffy Duck and Sylvester. Good. Bob Bergen as Tweety and, and Crusher, which is nice. Great. Um, Reese LaMarche as Jeremy Sam. And for the Good. first time, and I think so far only time, um, Chris McNeil voicing Penelope Pussycat, the cat from the Pebble Pew cartoons. Yeah, I mean, to, to fully throw in the Animaniacs undertones. Yes. And this short in particular, because it's the only time Penelope speaks, it is a very important short in the Penelope Pussycat fandom, which does exist. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> The stands are at it again. <clears throat> yes. And um, also, just something I liked was um, the short was re-released very recently. If you don't want to buy Casablanca for some reason, you just want to watch this cartoon, they re-released it very recently on a Looney Tunes Parodies Collection DVD in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, you can, and you can tell the cover is Casablanca essentially. It's, still, it's the same art. But it's like it's a parodies collection, and that's cool. It's cool that they're Great. still re-releasing this kind of one-off Looney Tunes cartoon they did in the '90s. Just oh, well, here's here's this fun little yeah. thing we did. I mean, they're they're obviously proud of it. Yeah. So the reason for the inclusion, um, Carablanca has been one of those shorts that has always intrigued me. Like like I know of the class of '90s shorts. I know of. Invasion of the Bunny Snatchers and Box Office Bunny and Chariot of Furry even. But this one I always found kind of strange. Like, uh, I put this short in in our document as like, as an episode. But I could never find a good enough reason. Like, oh, like, should this be a Casablanca episode? But that's not our show. We're not a movie podcast. If you want that, then go listen to Veracon video. Yes. Yeah, so, um, found, found reason. It's like, I really want to talk about this. This is an episode where we do choices, so let's talk about it. Um, yes. Do we want to summarize Casablanca, or should we just go right into it? For those who don't I mean, know. do you want me to give, like, the, the, the only knowledge you kind of need? Yeah. Because I, I can just do a brief summary for anyone that hasn't seen it. So, it's uh, a movie from the 40s that is very much entrenched in World War II beliefs and anti-fascism systems, and it's about um, a couple of old freedom fighters, uh, Rick and Elsa, who meet back up in Casablanca because Rick has a cafe there that he's basically harboring a lot of fugitives and making sure a lot of people get release papers in order to legally or illegally get away from the Nazis. And the movie is basically um, Ilsa coming back to him um, because he know, she knows that Rick has these papers that could get her and her now boyfriend out of uh, 
there without being detected, and there's this whole romantic subplot because Rick had a thing for Elsa back in the day, and now Elsa now has this new guy who's the big freedom fighter that, that knows how to strike fear into the hearts of all these Nazis and such. And so Rick grapples with the dilemma of wanting to help out someone he loves while also not being there to love her, while also there's these subplots involving, you know, this Nazi character played by um, Veit, Conrad Veit. Um, there, there's lots of other great characters. Peter Lurie is in it. And Good inevitably wins out in the end, and Rick realizes that the best future he can provide for Elsa is by allowing her to go onto the plane with, you know, Victor Laszlo. And it's littered with all these great lines, and, you know, here looking at you, kid, and the problem of the two people don't amount to a hill of beans, and of all the jing joints in all the world, she looked in the mine. And the end of the movie is Rick realizing that he's better off, you know, that, that you know, she's better off getting out, and he's better off staying in the world helping other people, and staying in Casablanca with his friend, the police officer, and with some implied gay uh, energy. It's not certain. But, um, yeah. Very quickly, it's a story about perseverance over fascism. And while there were a lot of rah-rah patriotism films in the 1940s, Casablanca was one of the few that actually walked the walk rather than just talking the talk. Actually, it was about patriotism while also figuring out what to do with patriotism and actually, you know, fighting fascism and doing something with hypocrites and actually helping people get the freedom they deserve. So, that's why it's still an important movie now. So, imagine all of that, but with Looney Tune characters in it. Yeah! And you would think, like, why are they doing this? But, like, it fits more than you might think. Yes. So, we begin with a lovely title sequence, by the way. The arts of the title, of the Carablanca title card is so nice. Yeah. Like, it fits the Looney Tune title card of the 40s and 50s. It really does. Yeah. So we begin with Foghorn Lanehorn announcing, listen, there are these papers. They've been stolen. A, a, a German guard got knocked on the head by a, by an, by a mallet. Yeah. By a frying pan. He's on the move. Go, go, go. And we cut to our first Nazi. And, folks, we finally got him. Yep. We got him. We got Nazi. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Ten episodes ago, we make the joke about Nazi Sam, and now Nazi Sam has arrived. actually get Nazi Sam. It's because he's playing the major Strasser uh, character, and therefore... See, 70s Sam's an SS agent. Uh. SS, in this case, standing for 70s Sam. Yo, SS. Also, the, the swastika has been placed out with, like, a nut. It's like, <laughs> there are no nuts. So they get introduced to um, Bugs's cavern, his uh, club, and it's just filled with Louis... Oh. We could go on about who's in this. It's literally a bunch of Looney Tune characters in the background of this. Uh, yeah. Spike and Chester are there. Granny's there. Pete Puma's a waiter. Crusher's the mm-hmm. dog, the, uh, the, the the bodyguard. Um, Giovanni Jones is the, uh, checks the list. He's wearing glasses now, so, you know, time Aww. has passed. That's great. Um, and 
um, Tweety comes in, yeah. and Tweety is playing the the role of Peter Laurie to the yeah. point that it gives Bob Bergen the excuse to do a Peter Laurie impression as Tweety. Yes, and it's great. It leads some fun deliveries. It's yeah. very fun. Well, it's also the reveal of, of Bugs' Bogart impression, which is also very funny. Watch out, Doc. Please help me, Mr. Bugs. I need you to hide this very important document. That wouldn't happen to be the document stolen from that poor Joyman sucker, now would it? I'm sure I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, it goes it goes into, uh, you know, Greg Burson Bugs, which I think we said this in our Titans episode, though I'm pretty sure that that's Jeff Bergman in the Titans episodes, but... Greg's Bugs isn't great. No. Like, it's fine. Yeah. It's passable, but you literally got Joe Lasky right over there. Yeah. Right over Right over there. He voices Daffy in this, and it's fantastic, because of course it is. And it's just... Yeah. Something I do want to mention involving Daffy, because we... Um... We, we come in and Daffy's doing his sort of, you know, who's got troubles kind of song. Uh, of, you know, the, the whatever, the, um, the, the the knock on wood kind of thing, which is right out of something off of Casablanca. And there's something up with the voice doubling on um, whenever other people in the, in the cafe sing the refrain. It just sounds like really badly done voice doubling. Who's got trouble? We've got trouble. How much trouble? Too much trouble. Well, don't you frown. Just knuckle down and knock on wood. Who's unhappy? We're unhappy. How unhappy? So eventually, um, Sylvester and Penelope, uh, Pussycat, come into the into the place, and <laughs> uh, I do just love. I love. There's no other way to put this. I love Karen Sylvester because <laughs> Sylvester just sing with Penelope. He's like Olgar Khan, uh, waiter. Somebody! I demand some service! I'll be right back, kitty dear, with a refresh somewhat. That's great. Ooh, Sebastian's gonna go off to get your cameras ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh, waiter, Garthon! Somebody! <laughs> Again, Joel Asky's uh, Sylvester is great. Um. Also, again, the... the I like how Pepe Le Pew is used in this as sort of a, a courier that's also trying to hit on Penelope. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. It is. Again, like... Uh, Pepe can work in some instances, and this is one of them, yeah. actually. Which, hold on, wait a minute. It's Pepe Le Pew and a Casablanca parody. Wasn't yeah. that supposed to be... What happened yeah. in the new legacy? Yeah. yeah. Well, what do you know? He found. He made it there after all. In the past. How's that work? <laughs> in the past. In the past. <laughs> it's not uh, technically in the past. It takes place in the forties, anyway. Yeah. See, back in the 40s, you away with that. Um, so, eventually, as as um, 
Sylvester leaves, and Penelope's there, and and Bugs, and, yeah. So Penelope talks to Daffy. He's like, "Oh, Sam, please play that song." And Daffy's like, "I'm not supposed to play that song." And he's like, "Please for me." Daffy's like. Okay, hits one note, which okay, for a split second I thought we were going to do those enduring young charms. What are you doing? You play that song? No, but the joke is literally he plays one note and Bugs already knows what he's trying to do and gets to stop him. <laughs> and it's like, well, I told you I'm playing that song. You can't play that song. And this is just great. This is great delivery from Joe. Just. I was just great Daffy writing, just Daffy going, You think I wanted to play that? She made me do it! It was her, her, her! Perfect Daffy writing. It, it's it's Complete perfect with to the signs. Character. With signs! Yes! This is Daffy Duck. I love it so much. I also want to mention, you, you missed you miss, because Sam does come in at this point. Yes, yes, with the with the Sam the Sheep Dog as his uh, driver. Yeah, um, and I'll, and I, I put in here. I like some of the changes this short um, does make to make the movie's plot simpler. Instead of killing off Ugarte or Tweety's character, we have Sam just capture him and make him squeal, which is good. And the get the paper gag, even with the music, reminded me the most of Animaniacs and the random chicken noise at the end of it. I'm like, okay. Clearly, the Animatics people are behind this, and I wasn't complaining because this is still really funny. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so, so Sam thinks that Sylvester knows something about the plans, you know, and Sylvester gets taken away. Yeah, these these MacGuffin-y plans that are all throughout this. Exactly, and oh, I do like because Bugs Bunny sees Penelope's there, and then we just cut to. I guess it's 1940s, just animated Bugs and Penelope driving as there's live-action footage behind them. Yeah! Random, real background. Yeah, which I think is the send-up of those shows in the 40s, just having the, the, the yeah. real behind them as they're driving. I love that. You know, they, they danced at the Coconut Grove and, and what have you. It's just... Also, all incredibly well animated, by the way. Just yeah. very nicely done. As we, we cut away from that montage and we get the line of in all the juice joints and all the towns and all the countries she had to walk into mine. And I wrote down here, boy, have I been there because I actually have been in those situations where I'm yeah. like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, there's no reason. Yeah. And I love how when I type that, Daffy goes, yeah, brother, I know what you're, what you mean. Oh, and I skipped over something. My bad. No, no, because Daffy has a line. I had a girl like that one. She dumped me for a pool supply salesman drinks heavily. Um, I will say, yes, you did You did step over. There was a gag yeah. at the very end of the, uh, the montage that I liked where, because it's obviously it's parodying the scene where um, Bugs is the train station and it's parodying the scene where uh, Rick uh, gets the letter at the train station of the rain-soaked note from Ilsa saying, I can't go with you. And it's that, but we see the rain coming down on the note is actually Daffy turning on a fountain it almost feels like a Zucker Agram Zucker gag. Um, but yeah, no, in, in the scene with Bugs and Daffy, um, yeah, yeah, because after that, uh, she comes back in, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. Oh, right. and this is when we realize that Sebastian's been kidnapped by Sam about the plans. 
MLB's begging Bugs to do it. Like, please help me. And then... Yeah. And there's something I think from Bugs here. It's like... No, no. Yeah, that's 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 based on something that, that he... That Rick Blaine says in the movie. I stick my neck out for no one. I stick my cotton tail out for no one, Bugs says. And, yeah, it's, it's very true to the theme of that movie. And although I do love the little sucker sort of um, lollipop thing that when when Bugs realized he has to do it. Can you tell these people love legions? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And this movie. Oh, man. So, we then go to um to like Sam's hideout. The, the guy Sylvester tied up. And I love the people that Pew is in on it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Just in the background, like, looking all devious in the background. It's like, oh, I guess... I, I guess Pepper the Pew was evil. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Short. Yeah. 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 Sure. Uh, so, yeah, just, again, Sam's like, listen, I know you have the plans. It's like, I'm telling you, I don't have the plans. And eventually, Buck just comes in like, oh, man, you guys are a barbecue without me? <laughs> and Great. then we get... Full Animaniacs gang. Full Animaniacs gang, but done in a way that matches the Looney sensibility so well. Oh, my well. God, yeah. I'm just... You know, it's just saying, it's like, oh, what do you know, Rabbit? And I was like, well, I know. Well, and he switches, of course, switches the tables. Sam is in the chair. Bugs is dressed up in some ridiculous, like, Irish cop suit or something. Yeah. Isn't it true you hated Johnny Ryan for stealing your girl? We're on to your pandemonium, so you might as well confess. Well, I can explain. It just turns into Bugs putting on different costumes, putting all this guilt onto Sam. He dresses up as a child, like, that's the bad man who did it. Slams him with a giant lollipop. And, and this, this this kills just goes to a, like just as a woman goes. That's him, officer. Oh, you brute! Because her purse, it clearly has an anvil in it. <laughs> like it's, it's great. They just dress him as a judge. It's like, well, how do you play? <laughs> Same going guilty, guilty. I'm guilty. It's like ah yes, yes. Go in the. <laughs> and then the end of this gag is the one that's. Like that people think is really controversial to this day. Yeah, where, um, <laughs> you know those slight gay undertones you were saying is in the movie <laughs> Ca- Casablanca. <laughs> well, well, I this... literally, I mean, and this is one of the wildest things I have ever written in my notes for this fucking show. But I literally wrote down: so is Yosemite Sam about to get raped in prison? <laughs> That's the indication I think we're getting here. And while, yes, horrible things should befall Nazis everywhere. Um, Absolutely. It's um, still Yosemite uh, Sam. Poor Sam. Because as we've discussed, Yosemite Sam is a God-fearing man. And... Yeah. I don't know what to think. To... To quote Time Tune Adventures, I guess they cracked up all the censors to get that joke through. <laughs> yeah, I think like, so. What did they say? What did they say? It's like, okay, so what's what's happening here at the ending? Oh, Sam is going to get beaten up by that fellow jailmate. Just beat up. He's scared that he's going to get 
beat up in his ass. Um, what? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. I, I, I just, just beat up. That's all. <laughs> Fine. Uh, oh my god. So we we cut to the airport. Yeah. It's the it's standing castle block and they're out there yeah. airfield. And we get the reveal of what the plans were. In the movie it was plans to leave this place and find freedom. And this It's a patent for Groucho glasses. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Because of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. sure. I'm down with it. And, and um, they do not the send up of the sorry, go ahead. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, I also love Sylvester and going in there. This is going to make me rich. So that's why the whole reason we're doing it. Not about anti-fascism, just about goofy glasses. But you know what? For kids, I get it. But, you know. Capitalism. That's the way. <laughs> sure. It's the only way we'll get made. <laughs> so we think at this, yeah, see Castle Blanca. Bug is saying goodbye to Penelope. And in this version, Sylvester just cuts him off. Like, yeah, 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 sure, 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 yeah, okay, blah, 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 blah. Hill of Greens, we know, we know, gotta go. <laughs> Which I feel that represents because we are rushing to end this thing all of a sudden. We we're like, okay, yeah. let's go, 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 go. Because we cut to the airplane because it's a kid's thing, so you can't have... I'm just leave bugs. So instead, it's just you know they're on the on the the plane, and who's there but Pepper Le Pew? So Pepper was like, "Fuck this!" Jumps out of the airplane, and I I, I do love just Bugs looking up, sees Pepper falling, steps a bit to the right, so that we don't land on our feet. Like, that, that's a nice cat joke. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, it's great. But. No, I, just, I don't know how I feel about Bugs getting the girl because that's not how Casablanca ended. I mean, I understand this is, you know, you're making it for kids, you want it to be simple, but like, it's, you know, I think I can live with it, but it's a little different. Yeah, and it just ends, again, it's very, it's, you know, a Bugs gets Penelope, the parachute comes down, and Bugs says, here's looking at you, Kit. Kit? Good, because yeah. they can't see because of the parachute. Yeah. And it's just ends. Again, very animaniacs. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we just, again, it's the end of the movie. There's no more than a parody, but also there is one thing. Um, That's all, folks. Which is the weirdest that's all, folks. It's just, it's the Warner Brothers shield, which has the white text over it of that's all, folks. It's, it's again. It's no. It's ninety five. Have it. Have it mm. nailed how to yeah. end a Looney Tunes cartoon yet? I don't know. But <laughs> no, they haven't. No. They open the shield and it's Tweety as Peter Laurie saying. That's all, folks. <laughs> yeah. Which at least they knew what the hook was. Yeah. It was Tweety doing a Peter Laurie impression. Yeah. So. I know this has been said plenty of times. We, we probably said it a couple times on the show, but seriously, why can't we get a fully animated Looney Tunes movie in theaters? Because this, with its yeah, animation, this would have been and great. Story, and okay, the pacing could have been a little slower. I, 
I don't know why pacing has been a running mm-hmm. theme for my shorts. I, I don't know why, but yeah, that was well done. Yeah, was like... but yeah, I feel like they get to bed at seven. They're like, okay, let's go, 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 go. We got, we, we, we have time, we have time. But yeah. Besides that, this short is so much fun. I love it. it oh. Nails the characters so well, which of course it does. It's the anime next writers. They love these characters clearly. Mm-hmm. It's just. Again, the way it looks, it's by the future animation crew, so it's the highest quality animation they could do. And it's in 2D, which sounds weird, but considering where where the next time a, a Luigi or two would play in front of a movie, that's a plus, which is strange. Yeah. I just loved how grand and pitch perfect it was in regards to doing a Looney Tune send-up of of Casablanca. That's the thing. I mm-hmm. think... And this is something brought up a lot of times with the Muppets. You know, it's like, just do the Muppets and blank. Comedy gold. I, I, kind of similar to Looney Tunes. It's like, yeah. just do Looney Tunes. Especially... Which... You can also make the argument, isn't that what New Legacy did? <laughs> you know what they did? They did Looney Tunes well. plus. Not... In that way, not that way we want it to be done, but, you know, doing a short where it's Looney Tunes doing a send-up of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, 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 yeah, here's what I want. Those Tom and Jerry movies, that, but act with actual effort. That. Yes. That. Looney Tunes, X, yeah. Looney Tunes, X, Willy Wonka. Daffy's Willy Wonka. There. That's that'd be funny instead of them moving around it it's actually them yeah and just and just it's it, just daffy wants the kids to die because he doesn't want to give up the chocolate factory it's like ah <laughs> oh, well uh, it's mine you see that's actually great <laughs> oh well where did my son go to ah oh, who cares get to the back of the line lady <laughs> So yeah, I I really like this one, honestly. Um, I will say it feels yeah. I mean, the Animaniacs undertones I think really work in its favor. It does feel like more of a segment on the show than an actual theatrical cartoon. You can still tell that this feels very much like Bugs and Daffy and all these guys are themselves. It's not like they're trying too hard to make them out of like Yakko and all these other characters. Uh, you can tell they all really love both this movie and these characters. I like the little changes, most of them that they do to the text, um, and it also just looks really good. So it's a really fun one. I recommend it, especially to people who haven't seen Casablanca. Yeah. And Pernatural Max, goddammit. Like, this is like the, one of the few ones made within recent times where it's like, what's your excuse? There's no excuse. Laziness, probably. Yeah. I, I, eventually, I'll we'll go into all the issues we have with uh, Looney Tunes in the streaming age. But today is not that day. Um, no, it's not, no. I'm giving this a 4.5 out of 5 anvils. That's exactly what I'm giving it, which means um, uh, that little issue we had in the first short was entirely your fault. Yeah. You and your contrarianism. As it always is. So, in preparation for this very big and very daunting and very um, well-edited, I'm I'm hoping, episode... um, we, we asked you guys if you guys had any um, questions to ask us uh, to do, because we're doing a Q&A here. 
And we thought it'd be fun to just like, okay, ask us anything, whatever you want about cartoons, about us, about um, the, the show itself. And we actually got a nice amount yeah. of people calling in. Yeah, a lot of it are, are recurring commenters from the show. Which is nice. I, I, I'm nice. glad that we have recurring commenters as well. Yeah. Um, you know. So the first one comes from a friend of the podcast, uh, uh, our friend Cody at A Whisper of Sea. He's got a couple for us. Um, we'll start with which Looney Tunes character is an underused character for modern times? So I think what he's trying to say is, okay, what, what Looney Tunes person that do you think they should be using more contemporarily versus how they were used maybe in the originals? Hmm. Pepe Le Pew. No. 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 Um, hmm. Hmm. Um, this is a tough oh, one. Oh, actually, you know how one might seem more of? Biggie Buzzard. Like, I, I, I know they did... They did a brief short with him in Lean yeah. cartoons. I'd love to see more from uh, Biggie Buzzard, honestly. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say? Rocky yeah. and Muggsy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That fits. <laughs> They'd tracks. be great now. I like what they're doing with them in Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, he also asks, and this is an odd one, uh, which Looney Tunes character would thrive in Downton Abbey? Because um, I don't watch Downton Abbey. Mm. Mark, I don't think you do either. I'm just going to say, okay, uh, polite answer, Granny, because she and uh, Maggie Smith would probably get around. Get along. Um, chaotic answer. Um, it'd just be funny to see Foghorn Leghorn there. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I say all these stuffed up uh, British people are a bit of a <laughs> bit of a hankering. You, know, I can't. Yeah, do it. I, I guess I, I would. I would. <laughs> I it fell apart. That southern, that southern chicken. <laughs> I uh, say, don't knock it if you try it. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, with your answers, I, I I don't know who would do well in, in Downton Abbey. Um, maybe Porky would probably be good in it, I think. You know? Yeah, I think he'd, he'd blend into it pretty well, I think. Yeah, pretty well. And I want to say Daffy Duck only because of, of his role in, in the, this color at uh, Pumpernickel. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I could definitely see that. Um, and the last one Cody has, which is actually a really good question, which non-Looney Tunes cartoons have influenced you? Um, <laughs> so many. Um, I definitely throw uh, SpongeBob in there just because we grew oh, up with yeah. it. Oh yeah, my god. The, the amount of times we've connected or referenced SpongeBob to Looney Tunes in this show. <laughs> just I would also say, I would also say Ed, Ed and Eddie because of just how chaotic and um just the ways they 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 did storytelling but also they did out of the box stuff and were able to just do whatever the hell they felt like um because hmm. obviously we watched a lot of cartoons um oh yeah in terms yeah. of story i mean yeah go go yeah i i think we're gonna say in terms of story i mean the disney stuff i mean that that's yeah. a very very influential stuff um in regards to certain movies i would have to go with you know emperor's new groove pretty much the 90s stuff so emperor's new groove aladdin lion king um the rescuers down under is a relatively new one that that i've recently discovered that's like actually really good so like by all means like i won't watch that one i mean obviously in terms of like crafting a story in a 30 minute 
period and having the pieces laid out in front of you. I mean, obviously the early Scooby-Doo's I think are really good at those. Yeah, Scooby-Doo, which is one of my first big interests as a kid, was Scooby-Doo. Like, the Scooby-Doo everything. So uh, th- th- that was also a very big influence. Well, I suppose if you want to be really influential in life, you could be like, oh, Felix the Cats, you know, no. the clown, splicer <laughs> uh, no. stuff. I was honestly going to say, like, in terms of how I think about plotting and, like, like doing a full season arc in cartoons, I would honestly say total drama the first season. Um, so much is good there in terms of thinking ahead and, and, and setting up the dominoes in, like, early episodes and thinking about full season plots. So I have a lot of respect for what they did early on. All right, we have a comment here from Anthony's Animation Talk at Anth animation talk who says uh first of all getting 200 episodes is awesome thank you thank mm, you it's pretty nice yeah <laughs> and his, his question is is um which Looney Tunes short do you think would be playing on loop in the deepest pits of hell as a punishment for someone um <laughs> hmm. there are so hmm. many choices um yeah um I mean, I joke about you know, Old Glory being an awful cartoon. Oh. It's I think that one's more just boring than awful. So I think yeah. that, if you were to run that on a loop, the person would just fall asleep. You know, they yeah. would like be tortured by it. You know, yeah, it's got to be something that's really offensive and torturous and just doesn't hmm. would be like stuff from the Sensor Eleven. Oh God. It's so racist. Maybe. <laughs> um, maybe something something from Seven Arts, like Highway Runnery or the first Cool Cat. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe stuff from there. I, I, I think Hell would be constantly showing one good Looney Tunes cartoon, but then you show a Seven Arts one. Yeah. Just to hammer it home how far they, they, they fell at that point. Just, it's like, oh, this is really good. This is from the same studio. Oh my god, it got worse. How? Why? It was so good just a second ago. Well, now it's not. <laughs> All right. Um, the next comment we have is from our collaborator and colleague, James Irish at JIR780. Congratulations on hitting triple digits. Thank you. Thank you. Thri- triple digits. Thank you, James. Thank you. Um, he, he asked if we have an interest in reviewing the DePatty Freeling theatrical shorts not done for WB, including the Pink Panther shorts and the Ant and the Art Bark. Um, you know, I've given that some thought because I, ha- I do have some familiarity with those. And it would be interesting to talk about. I think that one of these days we should do a unit of the other the director's work outside of Warner Brothers in a way that we could do some Chuck Jones, Tom and Jerry, some Avery, MGM, um, and as well as doing a lot of, you know, and the artwork, um, Pink Panther, a lot of freeling contemporary stuff. Um, cause I actually, mostly because I love the Pink, the Pink Panther movies. I do like some of the work that freeling and DePatty did with, you know, the, the Pink Panther and the inspector. Um, I think that there's not there's not a lot to the end of the art bark because it's really just one joke, which is it's Jackie Mason as an art bark. <laughs> but um, which, which to be fair is a good joke. We only 
one of them, you know. <laughs> well, I feel like they get old after the first one because it's just the same thing. It's get back here, runt. You know, it's it's. Oi, <laughs> 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 but um, I, I I'm just what's gonna happen is we're gonna do that one, and I'm gonna just keep making Simpsons reference. You know. <laughs> I have no son. Well, it's your son, Herschel. I was being rhetorical. I was being metaphorical or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, 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 we, 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 wouldn't be, we wouldn't be against it. No, I mean, it's not the worst stuff that De Patty and Freeling were doing in that era. And besides, it gives me an opportunity to talk about the Pink Panther movies, which I need because <laughs> I love the Pink Panther movies. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got a comment here from uh, probably the most recurring co commenter of our show, uh, Spiderus yes. at Spiderus Prime Two. Mm -hmm. Has two questions. One, where's Buddy cartoons? Um, and oh well. Do you want to end up watching a Buddy cartoon? I mean, sure. Well, look, they're part of Legion history. I think. Yeah. I don't know. The, again, the only, the only thing from Buddy we know is from the Animaniacs, where they yes. made him a psychopath. Yeah. I mean, branching off of that, we are, like, I am in the next hundreds of episodes going to try and get us towards more stuff from the early eras of Warner Brothers and away from the very bug-centric um, curriculum we've had thus far. But at the same time, there's stuff like Buddy cartoons that, like, I don't really want to go towards... <laughs> Because uh, what else can you say? <laughs> it's Buddy. Well, look at one. Uh, that's my new rule. If it's if it's if it's a cartoon character we can't stand, we do one short. We'll put it in a random theme. Be like, there, we covered this one character. We covered a Buddy Buddy. cartoon. Yeah. That, Unless that, the masses really want us to do Buddy cartoons. Yes. Like. <laughs> uh, like, I have a second question here. Will you guys do the Looney Tunes comics and games? Well, well there's a lot of Looney Tunes comics. There's a lot of Looney um, Tunes comics. Um, I did find one panel recently that was like it, that. It was like a send up of a murder mystery, and like Daffy was searching. Like, like he thinks somebody killed Bugs, so he goes to Elmer's um house. He says, "Yeah," and says, "Ah, I gotcha." He he takes off a, a carp uh, or a, a whatever. And it's a head of Buster Bunny. Yeah. Which raises so many questions. One, good God, man, Titan Adventures wasn't that bad. Number one. Whoa. Number two, wasn't Elmer Buster's teacher? Did it? Yeah. Did Elmer Maybe it's kill like his, his student. It's 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 apt pupil, but with Elmer <laughs> instead of Ian McKellen. I guess so. I guess so. Um. I think in regards to comics and games, I mean, it, it's already kind of silly that on this show we just tell you what happens in an animated cartoon. You have to picture it as you watch the cartoon with us. I think with with comics and games, it's a little more hard. Because it would be weird if we were like, and then on the next panel, there's Bugs and Daffy sitting left to right on a couch colored green as it, it, it would just be redundant and it would take forever to summarize. So, if now I'll say this. Comics and video game discussion is very good for a visual platform like a YouTube. As yeah. of now, we're not planning yeah. to 
a spinoff into a YouTube series, but if we were down the line, if we wanted to, that would be something we would do probably. Like, hey, let's do a thing about Thomas and Game and stuff. And again, and, and just, just to let people know, I do have some familiarity with some of the Looney Tunes comics. I think in the mid-2000s when DC was doing a Looney Tunes series, I had a couple of issues of that. And I, I thought they were pretty good. They had some good ideas there. I mean, oh, yeah. it was basically cut from the same cloth as a lot of the um, the old shorts. And the writers there had a lot of really good ideas. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, how do you really talk about comic books in the same yeah. way you talk about cartoons? Though I will so. say, I did really like... Remember, like, when there was, there was, like, dark and gritty Lean Do comics from DC? It's like... <laughs> New 52 bugs. <laughs> so, like, it, it movie. If we were to transition over to a video platform and do Lean Tunes comics, I think that would have to be one of the first ones, is those dark yeah. DC comics. And they're just so... They're both insane, but they're also, like, they... It's satire. They know what they're doing. Isn't there one that's, like, uh, Batman versus Elmer Fudd or something? Or something like that. Something like it's that. It's great. Um, and the last comment that we have is from um, Looney Games at Looney Gamer 55. Um, two questions for us. One, do you think Tweety is cute? Yes, it's the point of the character. Yeah, it, it'd be weird if we thought he, he wasn't. It'd be weird no, if we thought ugly. they were. No. no, completely horrible. How dare they keep continuing this character for 80 years? Like, no, it, it, he's fine. Tweety's a good character. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, I, I I will say, Mark, I think you've come a long way from where you started on Tweety. Yeah. Because you've found a lot more Tweety and Celeste cartoons that you like and you understand what makes the character work. Yeah. That helps. I always was pretty neutral. Uh, not neutral, but I always enjoyed a good Tweety you're always, and Celeste cartoon. You're always Team Tweety. I mean, look, I get why the character is funny. I get, yeah. you know, it, I mean, look, it, 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 Tweety as a character is a little bit annoying sometimes, but... It's about, you know, at any point, Tweety must prevail, and Sylvester, as funny as he is, must fail. And I like the fact that it's very funny to watch Sylvester fail and fall and um, cause a, a, a fire, perhaps. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, no, not really much of a question. No, and burn down an entire city block. Where are this? Yeah. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Um, the other question that um, Looney Gamers and Looney Games has is, do you think they'll make a Tom and Jerry and Sylvester and Tweety and Wile E. Coyote crossover movie? Those are some intriguing ideas. It's an idea. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'd be careful not make it a wild chase situation, though. Right. And I don't think that with these writers that they will. But at the same time, first of all, Tweet and Sylvester, uh, or like, okay, I think I read this wrong. It would, it would be all three of them would be crossing over. Tom and Jerry, Sylvester and Tweety, Wiley Coyote, uh, and Roadrunner would be crossing over together. And this would be, I don't know, do, does Warner Brothers have the rights to um, Tom and Jerry now? Yes, they do. Okay. Uh, yeah, because so, Tom and Jerry was was Hanna Barbera, which is owned by Turner. I thought it was. And then they we bought Turner. Right, yeah, this whole thing. Right, okay. So, in theory, it could happen. But it, it really just comes down to, are the Warner Brass and is Warner Brothers willing to sort of mix the worlds of Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes? And that could be, honestly, called controversial to a lot of cartoon purists. Um, yeah, because... 
Because that does go into, like, wait, because they're, they're not in the same universe. You know, like, uh, especially yeah. in a Y. Cody Rovner, a Y. Cody Rovner movie, that fits. That could work. Yes. Were they that Tom and Jerry? Well, also, another thing, too, is that Tom and Jerry, we think Tom and Jerry, you do think kind of low stakes, like, you know, it's a fight in a bowling alley. It's a fight at the house. It's a fight with a lion. And then there's a duck. Well, not quite. Because child children of the 2000s remember a lot of the higher stakes Tom and Jerry movies that right. aired on Cartoon Network a lot, including the one where um, uh, Jerry gets the magician's Magic ring. ring stuck Magic on his ring. head. Yes. And um, the Fast and Furry, which is a globe-trotting, rat race-esque, um, ridiculous movie. I, had, I watched that recently. Ridiculous movie. But they aren't capable of doing higher concept. It's just, it's not a world they inhabit in, in the 40s and 50s and they're earlier on. So, it could happen. You know, that would be a good, like, HBO Max original movie. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch that. Thank you all for your uh, your comments and questions here. Hope we did them justice, as we as I hope we've done the last hundred episodes justice as well. All right, thanks, guys. And thanks. now, Jordan, what are your selections? So, moving now to the ones that I put up, um, and I, I was just saying this to Mark um, not too far before we got on where his picks are very much a window into his cartoon sensibilities of a lot of classics, a lot of just, you know, really tasteful stuff, a lot of stuff that, you know, that, that, that tells you, you know, okay, he likes the good stuff, and, you know, the refined cartoon energy, whereas my stuff, you get a little bit more demented. <laughs> and a little less, a little more tasteless. And my humor isn't always like that. I mean, look, I, I do like a good Norm MacDonald joke, but, you know, I also do like a lot of good wholesome humor. But in picking these up, I didn't realize it until I was watching through these today where I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Is, Ow. Is, is it just me? <laughs> am I fucked up? <laughs> I think I am. Um, so we're going to start with um, comparatively the most tame of the three. Although once you think more about it, it's a little less tame. Uh, this one is called Hair Force. It was released on July 22nd, 1944. I don't have a ton on that day at all. Um, seven Brides for Seven Brothers was, was in theaters. Um, so if you're into that kind of stuff, that's pretty cool. Um, this was a Frizz Freeling film uh, written by Ted Pierce. And not only does Ted Pierce write the thing, he also voices the character of Sylvester the Dog. Uh, while B. Benaderet voices an earlier incarnation of Granny. Just think about that for a second. It's Granny and Sylvester, but it's Sylvester the dog. And I think it might have been Freeling doing an early incarnation of the sort of nuclear family that Granny had. That would be refined, obviously, once Yeah, uh, I think so, because, I mean, I mean, Tweety Pie begins as there's snow on the ground. So maybe Freeling was like, yeah. oh, yes, I'll, uh, I'll... <laughs> I'll walk on it. I'll do I'll a bunch of tests, and um, eventually I'll figure out that um, Tweety Pie and Sylvester work well in the snow. Yes, they work well in the snow. 
Tweety covered in snow. Try animating that, you sissies. Um, <laughs> although it is funny because like y- I, you do say that this seems like a trial run for Sylvester and, and Tweety, but Tweety Pie, you do remember that, you know, even though this is a very similar B. Ben and Derek voice, Sylvester's name is actually Thomas! Oh, yeah. So, so close. funny how that works out. So close to being right. Uh, I do want to note that um, this is an early frizz bugs cartoon and in order to do that he used what was mostly bob clampett's bugs design but um but he made some tweaks to it and made it a little bit more his own and it would become the beginnings of frizz's more streamlined bugs in the 1940s and it begins to look like more like the bugs that we know to this day yeah and as i just point out here so this came out right before Bugs' fourth birthday. This is a couple of days shy of Bugs' yeah. fourth birthday. Keep that in mind when we go into it, because there are things in here that even I, even I had to go, oh, that's something Bugs would do now. That's, yeah. That frankly uh, amazed me, but yes, uh, this is a, a Freeling Bugs cartoon. It's very much a cross-section of the Clampet slash Avery morals, which he was created off of, and the Freeling Jones morals that would propel him to another 76 years or so. Yeah. And more and counting. So, yeah, this is very much not exactly the passing of the torch, but it's a transference of some sort. My literal first bullet point in my notes is just... So, it's cold out. <laughs> it's a little bit yeah. chilly. <laughs> it's a bit nippy. Um, yeah, no, this is a snow-covered, um, you know, it's, 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 I, I think this, this qualifies as Granny. It's a very much a Granny-esque B. Ben and Derek can- yeah. character. The design is different. I like both the design and the characterization for this um, Granny character. Um, but yeah, this is Granny's house, um, in the middle of the cold. It's, there's snow on the ground and everything. And Granny, instead of having a, a, a pet cat and a bird named Tweety, uh, she has a sort of dopey hound dog named Sylvester. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, the setup is that, you know, it's a cold snowy night and, you know, Bugs knocks on Granny's door wanting shelter for the night and, you know, I, I do like the the little gag here of when he knocks on the door and, and sort of is like like down on the on the ground, like like acting like he's freezing, and he just you see one eye open up and look over <laughs> to see if it's working. That's very yes. bugs. And um, the best way I could describe the premise is um, it's cracked quack, isn't it? Like it's pretty much a little quack. You know, a, a character. A little, wants although to... I don't think it's. Hmm. It's, oh, it's, it's it's yeah. Not to the point where it's like this is crack quack just ripped off Air Force. No, they're completely different shorts. But it's funny how each premise is a mainline Looney Tunes character invades the home of another Looney Tunes character during a winter storm to stay heated. Yeah, and there's an adversary, a dog, who wants them out of the house. Right. So in that way, it's, it's similar, similar, but, but obviously, yeah. I think it's di- different energies because this is very much structured like a Bugs cartoon. That one's structured like a Daffy cartoon. It, it's it's different stuff. So yeah, no. The setup is this up. This becomes 
a competition between Bugs and Sylvester the dog to see who gets the fireplace spot and more affection from Granny over the course of the night. And that is a very good setup, and I like that, even if um, they don't really use Sylvester the dog again after this. He, he is a very expressive dog character. A lot of really good things uh, come across in just silent expressions, even before Ted Pierce's voice for him get in, gets in. I, I would I would also say this is a little better, a better version of the dog from the heckling air as well. Yeah. But I do like them playing up this sort of competition between the two and then Celeste's trying to compete for her affections and even just the, the read of, you know, good night, little bunny, and just him just changing his face <laughs> in response to that. And you just see, and this is a well, well, very well animated bit of just this montage in his head of things the dog wants to do to bug this. He just grows this grin. I love that. Especially if it's just like a black background and just white like drawings in a thought bubble. It's really cool. So yeah, so Sylvester, you know, as, um, as Bug does his usual what's up doc, you know, Sylvester throws him out of the house. And, and this is, a, again, this is a great short that reaffirms how underrated Ted Pierce was as a voice actor. He's very good at characters like this. Like, it's, it's very like, yeah, that's what's up, you know. He's like, yeah, you know, something like that. Like, um, I don't, I, I don't know what exactly it's like, but it's just, it's a very fun voice. That's what's up. This next bit where Bugs tries to guilt Sylvester from outside and make him think that he's died. This is yeah. the kind of Bugs fools the character into thinking they're dead bit that you would see later on in an, a Bugs cartoon earlier in the run. Yeah, it's yeah, and I love again. Aside from this run, that what happened was Bugs would do the play dead card and usually yeah. he would like go to the audience and go man I'm doing a great job aren't I like you may have yeah. me award it'd be amazing I do love in here it's it's own story he does break the fourth wall but I just love how he's acting behind the door yes and you just see him act <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and just all these little things that, that put it over the edge from a lot of the other Bugs Plays Dead bits like um like like just the, just him building a bugs out of snow and putting it up against the window with these dead eyes and just the seconds long shot of the snow bunny with dead eyes against the window is fantastic. Yeah. So funny. And what also nails this is Pierce's overselling as the dog as him completely worried about the well-being of this snow rabbit who he's brought in and is now melting. Like and Bugs is just right there comforting him and with that like this is a usual dumb dog character but just it it's it, it hits more than usual because it seems like the nth degree versus a lot of the other ones um, to this point. Yes, and to that I ask, um, do you think Jones and Maltese saw this and went, "Ooh, that's a good idea, a snow bugs." Write that down. <laughs> Maybe we can use that later, much later, the like ten years down. later. <laughs> and I will love him and pet him and call him George. Oh, I'm sorry, Mister Wabbit. I hope it didn't hurt you too much when I killed you. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, quite obviously, this sort of the the ploy doesn't entirely work because you know Bugs is obviously still alive and, and tries to give um, Sylvester what for. I do like that once they get the attention of um, Granny from upstairs. There's a lot of really quick hide in here gags, like, like yes, him, like him like like banging into the closet and then banging into the ironing board, which is great, and then doing it again as he passes through, and then. Bugs throws him outside again. And I love how cheery Bugs is here. Good night, Sylvester. Don't forget your rubbers. 
and rubbers in this case being shoes and nothing yes. else. Yes, boots. boots, boots. So yeah, as we as we black out after Bugs is stranded, um, Sylvester outside. We introduce this recurring bit of of Bugs humming as time goes by to himself. Sylvester. Um, Casablanca was out the year before. Uh, yeah. Very fresh in everyone's minds. Yeah. As, as time goes by, it was something of a pop hit at the time. Sort of like how, you know, now we have the resurgence of Kate Bush, then they have the resurgence of as time goes by. Uh, it was a ripe enough reference to throw in, I think, in 1944. It's also a great time re- reference for us, considering we just covered a Casablanca short. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> That's why it was so funny. That's why I wanted to uh, schedule this to go first of my three, because I knew you were doing Carrot Blanca last. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's great. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, and, and, and that's a very much a motif in this cartoon, because it was very much still. Like, they were animating this as Casablanca mania was sweeping the nation. So, <laughs> oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I love... Yeah. Yeah? No, I'm just imagining... Casablanca mania. Casablanca mania. It's like they had like, conventions where everybody dressed up like Peter Lorre. It's it's yeah, like yeah. every kid yeah. had the Casablanca lunchbox. Everyone for Halloween yes, wore exactly. the trench coat and the hat. Oh my goodness! You know, um, Sydney Green Street in Casablanca was the big costume that year at Halloween. <laughs> All these people dressed up in a fez and a fat suit. Well, good man, uh, Rick. I don't suppose they um, wanted to. I don't and, know. and hopefully, they, hopefully, no one dressed up as um, as the colonel or whatever, as Major Strasser. Or Major yes, Strasser. hopefully, um, no one did that. To be fair, it was nineteen ninety. It was nineteen forty three. So, like, you honestly <laughs> still could. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Although, can you imagine just like you know Halloween in the White House and and FDR going, you know what? I'm just going to dress up as a Nazi this year, and I hope that they won't. Think it's a bad taste, you know. That's the big scary specter. <laughs> oh God! Then I just imagine like episodes that... in, and we're finally gonna get canceled. No, um, I, I was just imagining like something's a picture of of him in the alpha, and they're like, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God!" He looked like Doctor Strange. No, no, no. Is that no? It's like, oh my God, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> I can walk. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, anyway, getting back to the back actual to the cartoon show. that we're supposed to be fucking talking about. Um, I love the moment because obviously you know he uh, Bugs is sitting inside humming. It's as time goes by to himself eating a carrot, and then he hears Granny coming downstairs calling for Sylvester, and Bugs has to quickly bring the quite frozen Sylvester back in to keep up the guys. Even, like, pretending he's drawing Sylvester. He's actually drawing his He's drawing his thumb, which is so silly. It's so silly, but I love it. And the speed of it as well. And I love, that's the thing. I love how quickly Bugs has to, like, like, just go back to, okay, now I have to help him. Now I have to throw him out. Now I have to, like, keep the act going. Like, it's it's really interesting. But, yeah, as um, as Sylvester uh, defrosts, I love the little piano notes as he goes back over to Bugs to kick him in the ass. And this, honestly, is a pretty classic Bugs gag. Uh, the hitting demonstration thing. No, no, what you would did was this. You see, you could have done this and then just throwing him around and demonstrating all these things on him. 
Bugs just um, beats the crap out of a dog. Yeah, with the guise of, no, no, here's what you should have done. Yeah. But also, I can... I'm not a very violent person, but I feel like if I were to hit someone, I think I would say what Sylvester did. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's very unkind yeah. of me hitting you when you weren't looking. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm not a violent person except when it comes to food. <laughs> Believe yes. me, Mark, you know yeah. this now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I told you. I told him all over Messenger. Listen, we gotta like do like we have to do like a series where it's just you and I. We cross America. I know. Actually, no, I don't said this Messenger, but just like no, we do like a series. Where we just go across America and we eat a lot of food and the whole joke is that we just riff each other eating. That's the entire show. Yeah. Call it two schmucks It's, it's, it's basically like a combination it's, it's like like the, the uh, Action Bronson fuck that's awesome or fuck that's delicious um, food travelogue show with more of like a Beavis and Butthead edge to it. Yes. <laughs> uh... Oh man! So we then get this bit where um, I believe this is the um, uh, Sylvester runs out the front door. The shadow boxing each other, right? Yes, yeah. yes, the shadow boxing. Yes, they do like a, a shadow boxing thing, and Sylvester hypes himself out of the house. And Bugs, as as Sylvester still shadow boxing out the house, Bugs goes, "How's the weather out there, John L." Which is referring to boxer John L. Sullivan. Not exactly the ubiquitous reference that Casablanca was, but hey, I'll give him credit. Yeah. And I love just... Because previously, Bug shut the door as Sylvester is running towards the, the, the house. It says this time, Sylvester runs towards the house, stops, picks up a stick, puts it in between so Bugs does not shut yeah. the door on him, runs back runs towards the house and Bugs shuts the lower half of the door. Yeah. Which is Both genius. of those shots, both the regular door and the and the, the separated door are both fantastic classic Bugs shots. And they're well animated. Um, but I, 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 just the little things in that gag. Like Bugs' eyes like sort of shifting towards the still open door as Sylvester stops in front of him because he thought he was going to close it and, and wait for him. Um... Yeah, no, this is all classic bug stuff. This feels like the best elements of early bugs being sped forwards toward the second part of the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. I also like how Sylvester tries to learn from the last iteration of the door gag by moving out of the way, trying to prevent himself from being like clobbered by the snow again, only for the snow to move with him and get him anyway. More as time goes by here. A couple of great, very little things in this scene as, as we hear um sylvester howling from outside one is bugs popping earmuffs on the sides of his head which is nowhere near his actual ears that's silly and then we just cut to a painting of a very sad looking sylvester (laughs) (laughs) as we just hear the howling in the yeah and this is a moment where bugs looks at the at the audience and goes like you expect me to let him freeze out there do you and just runs runs out and gets him yeah, it's great. And he, he's almost, like, frustrated by the fact that he has to go save him. <laughs> and, okay, I I died at this with this letter. <laughs> oh, I love this. Oh, my gosh. The bug's digging in the snow. <laughs> so he digs in the snow. Then he, she gets Sylvester, sees a note that says, Don't you wish you were inside? 
like me. To which I say, well, well, look who's inside again. It's Sylvester <laughs> trying to find a reason to... Just, and just like um, just like the Casablanca jokes in here, that may have been, um, you know, a, pop, uh, a, re- a recent joke then. I don't know if people are going to be still watching Bo Burnham's Inside three or four years later, but all right. Probably not. I also have a- an alternative joke. So is is that the letter that Bo Burnham sent to Sesame Street folks? Don't you guys wish you were inside? I don't want to do this. I'm depressed. You're making me write for kids, you monsters. Hey, I'm insulted. <laughs> also, I, you, what you what you just... Damn it. I tried I, doing a Muppets voice. I ended up doing Mojo Jojo. <laughs> hey, I am insulted. I am part what of is the Muppets that? now. What is that? Is that a cookie? This is the most insulting thing I have ever done in my life. You! Give me that cookie. Oh, Jojo jo does not enjoy cookies. <laughs> Sorry, Raj. Uh... <laughs> um, note to self, apparently I can do a good Mojo Jojo impression. <laughs> Our... Well, hey, if they ever... <laughs> if they ever... <laughs> not to threaten Roger's career... If they reboot Powerpuff Girls again, and they're like, we want to screw over even more of our voice cast. Get me. Get, me. get, get that tall I'm available. Fella. Get that tall fella from that Lean Tune show that can do an impression. We'll hire yeah. him. <laughs> you know, and if you need a new Sylvester, I can do that voice as well. <laughs> it's that simple. Uh, um, we're, uh, we're not there yet. Not that Sylvester, but yeah, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> I can do that Sylvester as well. Um, oh God, you won't stop. Okay. I'm just good at this shit, guy. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, the reveal of Sylvester by the door, singing as time goes by himself. Sylvester is <laughs> it's great, and I love the fact that Bugs loses her a bit in this cartoon. Which you'll see as a theme in the, in my side of the hundredth episode, honestly. Yeah, which which is so funny because I think at the beginning of, of this show, you're like, man, I hate when Bugs loses. Cut to the hundredth. Here's two episodes where Bugs kind of loses, and I like it. Well, I like it in some of these contexts. It's not always going to win for me. I mean, Bugs doesn't always work when he loses, but when he has a good enough foil and when he can eventually get the upper hand back, then it's great when he loses. When it's an even fight, great. When it's not. And Bugs has to, you know, lose the entire cartoon like an eight ball bunny. Like, then it's not as good. And so we get towards the climactic throwing each other out gag. Which is such a fun way to end this short. Because it's basically just like like Sylvester walking towards the door trying to get Bugs out. And then Bugs essentially flipping him. And then just arguing about who's going to throw the other out. And we literally get a 30 second sequence of... Back and forth, Bugs and Sylvester throwing each other out the door from the frame of literally just like just the doorway. And you see people land in the snow, run back, the other one gets launched. It's really funny. <laughs> and, and and then you hear Granny. She woke up. <laughs> She's like, stop, stop. She begs for them to stop. We don't even see her come downstairs. We just hear her enter. We don't, we don't know when or why. We just hear her enter, start protesting, and suddenly she gets thrown out. And that's where and they just and unlike Bugs and Sylvester celebrate together over the warm fire with a truly fitting Ania stinker as the old lady freezes to death outside. Yep. I wrote down here, uh that lady's going to freeze to death. <laughs>
Bye. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Dead old lady. The two people fighting for warmth realize that the real villain is the person making them compete against each other. And they deal with her and reap the spoils. I wonder if there is a message to be brought from that. I love this one. Um, amazing gag work. A great foil for Bugs in this very funny Sylvester character. Nice structure. Really good stakes and, and, and plot. Fantastic ending. I oof, I, I only have very... My, I, I don't know if I have any quibbles with this at all. I, I really enjoy it. It's it's basically the next evolution in, in the sort of the... the the steps of yeah how Bugs became who he is now, and, and that's what really blew me away about this short. How like how this was only about four years since Allowed Hair, and Mugs is already in a place where we can fully recognize him as the Bugs of the next ten fifteen years in Frizz and Chuck um, shorts. Yeah. It's a tight, it's nice, it's a ref- it's and it's. It's reflective of the 40s bug sensibilities told with someone who wasn't Tex or Clampett. It's yeah, a solid yeah. short that just keeps going. It has a nice pace from joke to joke, and it's just so darn funny. Oh my god. Uh, you know, it, this is one of those where I just forget how much I love it until I put it on again. And yeah, I absolutely love this one. I'm giving it a 5 out of 5. I'm also giving it a 5 out of 5. Hell yeah. Things. Hell yeah. Woohoo. 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 <laughs> Um, I'm going to get an angry note from Roger Jackson after this. Um, like, why are you doing Mojo Jojo? That's my thing. Thank God I can't do the guy from Scream or else I'd really put... <laughs> so really be screwed. Um, <laughs> so if you thought that one was demented... <laughs> the next one that we're talking about is another one of my favorites from my eras of watching the Golden Collections drink. Um... A very funny one that I had forgotten how much had sat with me until I was figuring out ones for this episode. And that is Baby Buggy Bunny. Um, Baby Buggy Bunny came out on December 18th, 1954. On this day, um, Ray Liotta was born on this day. Which stinks because he just died a couple months ago. Damn it. You can't pin this on us, though. That's the important thing. No, no, no. He's 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 dead. Now. He's in. We recorded this. We, we we didn't kill him. Um, great actor, obviously. Oh um, man, you know, Goodfellas, something wild, puppets from space. Gotta love him. Um, the also the best way to put it is, you know, uh, Jason Siegel says he's a big fan of the Muppets. He only did one Muppet movie. Ray Liotta did two. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Who's the better? He person? was so good in Muppets from Space that he just, he, he needed to come back and do um, Muppets Most Wanted. Yeah, 
and he was great in both. He knew exactly what he needed to do for both of them. Yeah. And his SNL episode was really good, too. So, um, yeah, it's great. Also, uh, the original 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was in theaters, oh. starring James Mason and Peter Lurie. Peter oh. Lurie returns. Again! Yes! Uh. Um, this is a Chuck Jones, Michael Maltese short. Um, okay. Fun fact about Baby Buggy Bunny. This is absolutely true. This short was deemed so similar to the 2006 Wayans Brothers movie Little Man that the film was nominated for Worst Remake or Ripoff at the 2006 Razzies. And it was really? because animation bloggers quoted some gags from this cartoon that were used in that damned movie. Really? So... This really good short inspired a terrible Wayans Brothers movie. And I remember that movie coming out. I remember the little Oh, yeah, man same. It's terrible. It was their follow-up to White Chicks. Yeah, that was the big it deal. It was like, okay, White Chicks you guys seem to like. How about if we do this one? How about instead of um, make fun of making white fun people. of white people, let's instead make fun of little people. And um, I don't think I need to point out what was wrong with that. Um, all I have to ask is, was it a, uh, tippy-toe situation? Were they yeah, on their they, knees? um, they, they, yeah, um, yeah, they CGI'd him down, uh, Marlon Wayans, and, yeah, it didn't go well. Um, and it sucks because there's actually a lot of very funny people. Like, yeah, they, they basically, they pasted Marlon Wayans' head on a little person's body. And oh, that's, that's yeah. That's and the worse. fact that we have such really good people as Kerry Washington, Tracy Morgan, Molly Shannon, David Allen Greer. Well, yeah, of course, because <laughs> it's the it's for the it's the Waynes, so they're they're already at this point they're huge, and it's like, hey, do you want to be in the first movie since White Chicks? I highly suggest White Chicks. Hell yeah! Don't even show me the script. I'll, I'll sign up. And then it's like, oh. Also, it literally says on IMDb, remake of Baby Boogie Bunny. So. <laughs> really? Yeah. Holy although, shit. I will say, Chuck Jones and Michael Maltese do not have credits on this, which, thank God. Boy, wouldn't that be awkward? Can you imagine, like, you're, you're, you're Linda Jones and you get a check in the mail? Like, what the hell's Little Man? What the no, she wouldn't get a check in the mail. No one saw it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, this inspired a very bad um, Wayans Brothers film. Although you can also argue that most of the times that Bugs Bunny uh, went in drag also inspired white chicks. Um, and the time that uh, Daffy blew himself up on stage um, inspired the rest of their career. But yeah, this one is better, I swear. So it's funny because we, we just talked about the opening of this cartoon in the Bugs Bunny mystery special, which we had such yeah. so many things to talk which about. Which a with. lot of you really liked, by the way. Yeah, that, I mean, that, I'm sorry we didn't do it justice by like, sort of like, no like, selling. Th thanks for off. listening to it, but like, thanks, but we were so. But we were on autopilot that episode. Yeah, I think. but uh, but thank you so much for what for listening to it. Thanks. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the opening is essentially as it was in that um, mystery special. You know, bank robberies with really awesome animation, tense music. Um, and the hook is, as the 
cops are coming. The robber babyface Finster, who's actually the size of a small child, disguises himself as a baby, gets away with the money, although the, the money in the carriage rockets towards Bugs' rabbit hole, and then he has to sort of fool Bugs to get it back. That's essentially the setup of this one. Yeah. Yeah, I do like how expressive Finster is as a character and how he turns on his sort of naive little smile before having a dark grin as the cops pass. This is a very interesting character, one that only really Jones and Maltese could have cooked up, honestly. And I do like the comedic pause between the bag of money landing on Bugs' head to the realization that he's rich now. <laughs> I-, I wondered in this bit if this cartoon would fit Daffy more than if it, it would fit Bugs. But Bugs isn't exactly immune to the promise of money, so it still works. Yeah, yeah for him, it's just, oh, well, this is going to help me. But it's not like, you know, he has become greedy. He only wants Junior or, or to uh, stay away from the money because, you know, he's a baby, air quotes. He's with the baby to, like, you know, tear up the yeah. money or whatever. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, I do love the letter, the, the reveal. Yeah, the letter that, that Finster, Finster's quote-unquote mother leaves for Bugs. Um, which, you know, no, please take care. And I love that it's addressed from a mother, parentheses, broken hearted at that. that. That's some Jones Maltese writing right there. That That's... Yeah. yeah. Well, what also is very much a Chuck, uh, Chuck Jones, Michael Maltese kind of gag is as Bugs adoringly agrees to take him in, Finster hands him another note that says, take him inside, you dope. You want him to catch a cold? Broken hearted mom. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously you know the hook of this where, you know, and anytime Bugs has his back turned... That, that Finster is obviously going to crawl towards the money. And, and yeah, no, I, 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 I like, you know, Bugs pulls out a toy to find Finster and the money. I love, Bell has a million great reads in this, but his whole read of Finster, which is great. And Bugs saying, you mustn't play with the dirty money. It's very dirty. Or, you know, whatever it is. Like, where's it been? Somebody's butt? Is it, um, did he get the money from the struts? Is it dirty, sexy money? Oh, for, now you're just appealing to all the music I listen to. Don't play to the host's whims and wants. I haven't made Weird Al references. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, Maybe I do Bugs like your... will get a uh, 2000-inch TV. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. <laughs> um, so... I like that Finster is also a well enough developed character to have bugs on the ropes by holding his breath to make him hand over the money. Like, yeah, I mean, this is honestly a pretty evenly like done. Like, bugs loses a couple times in this cartoon because Finster is smart enough to have him on the ropes, but it's mostly because of withholding information. Bugs not knowing the full scope of the plot, and once he does, eventually, then it's it's a bit more even. But I love the reveal of bugs re-entering with some formula. Just the, the 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 crib have with a, like a sheet rope over it as he's escaped and just Finster! and the timing oh this timing made me laugh harder than it should the timing of Bugs tickling Finster to let go of the money <laughs> and Finster slamming on the head with the bag of it is hysterical. Finster, Finster, where are you? That's just. Oh my god. It, it's very just like, kitchen, kitchen, bam! It's like immediate. Boom. <laughs> so good. And it's just it, ridiculous. Now, and then, and then we have the gun gag here. And it's the yeah. kind of gag 
that reaffirms that Looney Tunes weren't made for kids. They were made to amuse each other at the Termite <laughs> Terrace. And so, you know, baby shooting bugs in the face. Priceless. <laughs> he thinks it's a toy gun as well. So he just, you know, he shoots him. Yeah. Oh, nice. yeah. Man. Elmer wishes he had the power of Finster. Yeah, that's the thing. Finster can actually shoot bugs. Advantage, Finster. It raises the stakes a bit. It's like, yeah. oh, he can actually hurt bugs. And that's just a dumb a bad guy like Bugs is used to. Like, there's actual like stakes <laughs> here. Yeah, it's more complex than a lot of this. Um, and then my favorite of these early like pre-realization uh, gags is this light switch gag. Oh, yeah. Which is so oh. ridiculous, and it's it's because it's Bugs turning off the light in the room, and then immediately getting beaten up by Finster with a bat, and so it's just so many little things, and it's like the dumbfounded Bugs turning on the lights, looking over at sleeping Finster all the way over there, looking at us very confused, turning out the lights again, getting beat up again, got to him on the floor, even more beaten up, looking even more confused towards us. It's the most human he's really been in a bit. And I love the animation of the because like the, the lights cut out, you just see boom, pow. It's it's like yeah. it's Batman essentially, but it's so nicely yeah. done. And they cut back, and of course, Bugs is just again really like. And then he just goes over to Finster, <laughs> says "click," and then gets beaten up a bunch of times with the. He goes wildland. He goes wildland. <laughs> Such a silly gag. I love it so much. Um. So then Bugs figures out what's actually going on, and we get this really cool keyhole shot of Bugs looking through the keyhole in the bathroom and seeing Finster shaving, smoking a cigar. He's got a tattoo from this girl in Singapore. It's <laughs> it's, it's silly enough on its own. And then, of course, the, there's a news break that tells Bugs what's going on, and it's this guy, Babyface Finster, or um, Anne Hill Harry, which is funny as well, and tells him exactly what's going on. The rest of this is just really funny once we know that Bugs knows. The rest we get is why I can call. It's either Chuck and Maltese. I, I, I looked it up. Like when when did these two become parents? Um, by this point, I think Jones had his daughter was in college. I wasn't able to look at Maltese. I don't know if he had a kid around this point. But I'm just thinking it's just them venting out their frustrations of being fathers. Like, Pretty much. God, yeah. sometimes I just wanna, and then they just take all that ability and put him in this because this stuff they get away oh with God. is fantastic. Exactly, <laughs> and 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 it's so like you know what like you know it isn't actually a baby anymore, but it feels wrong. All of these things, like first of all, <laughs> just just bugs his expression once he peers in. Oh, Finsta, Finsta, baby, which is oft repeated in this house. Um, and then immediately grabbing um. Pulling Finster down. He's like, how many times? The the delivery he has on... How many times have I told you not to play with that dirty money? Throttles him around. Finally shaking. <laughs> That's a line that also has been repeated a lot in my house. Just <sighs> not to play with the dirty money. And just the absent-minded abuse that Bugs throws at him. Throwing him in the washing machine. Chucking him at the ceiling. It's so funny. It's bad. But it's so funny. Just the edge of... Bad humor, the edge of taste. <laughs> just the shot of Bugs spanking all the weapons out of Finster. Oh my god. As Mel has a great delivery of. Not to play with knives, not to use knives. 
And believe me, Finster, this hurts you more than it does me. So freaking funny. Yes, and, and what I love is is that in the big game, which which <laughs> I love in the big game, they recontextualize this clip like Bug spanks babies. Of course, now with the college, it's like that's not a baby; that's a criminal. He has the right to spank. As a thirty-five-year-old man, <laughs> it's Marlon Wayans. Oh. So we do eventually transition to our ending, and it's not a haha funny ending, but it's 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 a good ending where he returns uh, Finster to the cops um, as another concerned parent or grateful um, with the rest of the money, and Finster is basically acting like a child in prison and complaining and literally in a crib in prison <laughs> and bugs peers into his cell going, I don't know. I mean, you know, 99 years isn't forever, which is, you know, it's, it's a good ending. Yeah. Don't be such a crybaby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I will never not laugh really hard at this one. Uh, it's not tasteful. And Similar to something like Chowhound, it verges on demented humor. Like, like, like you have to like go back and forth and be like, okay, this is being programmed for kids. This is is peachy enough to be let onto the youth of America. But man, is it funny! Like some of the some really fun gag work in here. Again, Bugs has to lose a lot before he gets the upper hand in the last half, but it still works. It's a clever concept, a very fun character. A really funny bug short. God, I want to be there for the pitch of this one. Okay, so <laughs> then in this scene, Bugs going to throw a baby in the air. He'll hit the ceiling, come crashing down on the ground. We're also going to have Bugs put a baby in a washing machine. He can't do that. Did we mention he's a criminal posing as a baby? Oh. Oh, in that case. So carry on then. By all means, do that. So how? <laughs> And he still, sir, I imagine, just had a said to squint at this going, Really? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Okay, but I'm, I'm worried about you, Chuck and Mike. <laughs> Maybe, like, Chuck goes, Well, I mean, you were wrong about the, about the bully for bugs thing, <laughs> so... Maybe, uh, maybe if you're wrong about this, we will care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, in that case, yeah, fine, don't do it. All right, we will. Have a good day. Also, fuck you for keeping all the Oscars. <laughs> what was that? Nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's a bit of a simple story. You know, it's just a criminal enters Bugs' habitat. It's pretty much just the rabbit hole the entire time. But I yeah. love the gag work and just oh the God. lovely turn of events once Bugs finds out. I find it so great that, especially at this time, they're able to get away with all this stuff. Just, literally, if yeah. you were to... If you literally cut the moments where you where it has the reveal, but like you can very... I mean, you can probably easily just cut the, around the short to have it look like it's just bugs being the shit out of a baby. It's like, yeah, there's this weird cartoon they did where just bugs being a baby for five minutes here, and it's just a, a nicely cut together. Um, maybe I'll do that just for funsies. Like, what would happen if bugs be the shit of a baby? Put that into uh, an AI generator. See what happens. Um... But yeah, it's it's so oh, demented. God. I love it so much. I, I I I honestly I can't in good taste give this a five out of five. I'm giving it a four point five just because I feel bad liking it so much. But oh my god, 
I'm giving it a five out of five because I have no taste. Yeah, I probably should have given it a five, but I'm like, um, <laughs> I it's, don't know. I mean, look, the very least the Wayans could have done. They could have, at the very least, gotten permission from WB. I, I don't know who owned Arn. It was a New Line film, right? I think. Who owned? Now I gotta look at. You know who owns New Line? WB. Warner Brothers. Studio. You ever forget that Lord of the Rings was a New Line property? I know the mask is. That's the thing that that yeah. that got their start. But uh, yeah, that that is funny. How like. I'm thinking it's either Warner's or Universal. That's what I'm thinking. I'm just going to look very quickly. Somewhere. Anywhere. Sony! Ah, uh, darn it. The Sony. Oh! Revolution those Studios. Those bastards. Ah, uh, darn it. Um, man, well, the Wayne's had money. He'd be like, listen, for the first, like, month, can we just have Baby Buggy Bunny play in front of our movie? That way, tons of people can sit through a good Lincoln's cartoon. At least there's that. It's like, well, and the movie then you suck. get the letter to to um, to Chuck Jones's people. D- d- yeah, exactly. And then they look at this going, and they, they they double take over, going, huh? These people? No, but that'd be a very interesting thing to do. Just Warner Bros. going, let's just take. St- Don't do this, WB. If anyone's listening, do not do this. But it would be weird if wow. WB's like, well, we just took plot lines from Legion shorts and made them their own movies. That was such a dumb idea. Well, I mean, to be fair, the movie What About Bob is essentially a Bugs Bunny and Daffy, Dunny, Daffy Duck short, essentially, with um, Bill Murray and, and Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, oh, which one's Bugs, which one's Daffy? Oh, Bill Murray is Bugs, and, and um, Richard Dreyfuss is Daffy. It's, it's, it's very funny with that knowledge. It's, it's a very funny movie, but it's like one of those things where Bill Murray cannot get out of... Um, Richard Dreyfuss's hair, and it just keeps slowly driving him more insane, and it's very funny. Alright. And then... We've, do, we've, we've done our Dementedly Funny shorts. Let's now go to some actual dramatic suspense. And not just the dramatic suspense in this cartoon. The dramatic suspense of watching a cartoon by some people that we know make terrible cartoons. Yeah, so, um, you want to explain this one? Because I was shocked. Yes. I was watching this cartoon, the, the second credit comes up, and I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, this yes. Is a- <laughs> and I, I literally, I could have gone, okay, bear with me, and I think I did. This is The Last Hungry Cat. Um, this was released on December 2nd, 1961. Uh, on this day, in a nationally broadcast speech, Cuban leader Fidel Castro declares he is a Marxist-Leninist and that Cuba is going to adopt communism. Um, oh, big no deal. Big deal. We've done that plenty of times on this show. <laughs> yeah. We, that's why we have such big numbers in Cuba. Yeah. Um, this last hungry cat... Um, I, I caught this one on uh, the Golden Collections um, when I was young. This was on one of the later Golden Collections. And I enjoyed it because of what it was doing. And I didn't realize who, who was behind it until very, very recently. Because uh, this, I mean, as a Sylvester and Tweety cartoon, this is uh, by Free, Freeling's Unit. But because this is 1961, Freeling's Unit is 
beginning to evolve. And now, because this was directed by Fritz Freeling and Holly Pratt, it was written by Dave DeTighe and John Dunn. Huh. And it was produced by David DePatty. Now, with all of those names in here, you think that it might be a harbinger of things to come, of the very disappointing era of DePatty Freeling cartoons, with a lot of stuff written by John Dunn and David DeTighe, and a lot of really disappointing stuff that hasn't held up at all. And you would think that that would be a recipe for disaster. And I would say, and I would say, Jordan, what the fuck are you doing? It's our hundredth episode. Why are you doing this? And I would say, as I did, bear with me, because I remember it as well that in this era there was another cartoon that we both really liked that was done by this team, including John Dunn and the Tigan. I don't know if the Patty was a part of it. Called Transylvania Six Five Thousand. Yes, and. We like that one, and we, we really enjoyed talking about that one, and that one still holds up, but it's also by that unit. The other thing that that episode has in common with this one is the presence of one Ben Frommer in oh. the voice booth. Ben Frommer, who we heap praise upon because of his excellent timing playing Count Blood Count in Transylvania 65000, gets to play the Hitchcock-esque character in this oh. one. And I did not know that until watching this. I thought Where that I? they got some other um, freelancer at the time. But watching it, I was like, oh, shit, that is Ben Frommer. That's great. So Awesome. So, so that's what they should have done. When they moved to the new studio, you hire Ben Frommer and say, listen, uh, we don't know why, but whenever you're with us, for some reason, our shorts are better. So here, <laughs> You and okay. Mel, you two, everyone. I guess I can manage it. <laughs> Billy also, West. for some reason, I am compelled to say, "Pull the string." <laughs> Had to. I've told you a million times. Watch Ed Wood; you would love it. But anyway, I know, that, I know. That's, that's the only bit of Ed Wood that I know about. Which is, pull the string. Uh. <laughs> anyway. And I, and I love that he, he says that, and he just like straightens his eyes, like, "Oh yes, welcome to this movie." We're doing. Like nothing had just happened. He just yells, and it's nothing. That the, the real yeah. clip is like that too, which is great. Yeah, yeah the, it, it's really, in the movie. He, he it, it's like Butch says, "Can I just do one thing?" And it was like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead, okay." Pull the string. Pull <laughs> the string. Okay, okay, that, that's all. I just want to do that. It's like. That's all I wanted to do. Okay. And, and he gets an Oscar for that, and God bless him. Yes. Um, not 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 Lugosi himself, uh, Martin Landau. Yeah. Um, not Ben Fromer, even though he deserved an Oscar. Um, no sleepy head. No. Okay. Um, but yeah, no. Um, ben Fromer plays the Hitchcock guy, and, and in addition to our usual Mel Blanc and June Foray as Granny stuff. So. One of the reasons why I loved this one so much as a kid, because this was this was honestly one of my introductions to Hitchcock and the world of Hitchcock parody, because this was not only a loose sequel to Burns Anonymous, but a homage not only to the then-popular Alfred Hitchcock Presents, but according to some sources, a reimagining of Hitchcock's film Blackmail, which was done during his silent uh, British era of filmmaking. Um, so this is very much steeped in a lot of things that made the Alfred Hitchcock things films popular at the time and 
knowing that enhances the experience of watching this because I, as we've discussed a couple episodes ago, I, I, I do really like Alfred Hitchcock's film. I love what he does as a filmmaker. And I think watching this as a kid made me appreciate this as much in the regular films. So, so yeah, it may be a John Dunn, David DeTaigi, David DePatty thing, but it's not all bad, as I'll get into. So, the first line of any Looney yes. Tunes short is important. It sets the tone usually, <laughs> what's going to be, you know, for Bugs, what's up, Doc? For number five, be really quiet, I'm hunting rabbits. Jordan, what's the first line in this short? I'll do it in the voice. By all means. I'll try and do the By best I can, the, the Ben Fromer, um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock voice, which is... Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a story about murder. Now, <laughs> that is our first line of our Looney Tunes cartoon. We bring you a story about murder. You know, just da 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 Tonight, murder. ladies, murder. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. It, it's it's no no hello or here we go. Just murder. <laughs> so we don't even have them explain why we just go into the actual yeah. cartoon we're left with that undercurrent of murder and um what i like about this already is the set design is great on the houses on this sort of block it's more of a rundown a bad side of town setting for where granny and tweety live which fits with the hitchcockian theme like i, I also love seeing us I also love us seeing Granny and Tweety from outside, like a bird's eye view POV of, of, of the window and seeing them through there as if someone's watching and it ends up being Sylvester watching. So already atmospherically, they're dra drawing us into this world. And just the shots of Sylvester coming up the fire escape in the shadows are incredible. As oh, well as us idea. seeing Sylvester enter by the light on the wall on the shot of Tweety. This is an incredible looking cartoon. Oh, yes. Yes, the, the, it's very well animated, especially for this time. It's very... And honestly, the yeah. sort of suspense theming of this cartoon does contribute to what I think is my favorite Sylvester running across the room with furniture scenes in any of these Sylvester and Tweety cartoons because of the Hitchcockian aspect of the music. There's this sort of low flute every time he's passed through a room and then we see nothing. Like, something like that. And it's, it's effective. It's, it's, it's honestly kind of funny the way it does like that. But it's just, it's very, it's, it's very much like a Hitchcock score. And it works. <laughs> yeah, and what, what so, I love is that you know, this is a type of gag that's been done before. And so he piles the furniture on top of each other to get the Tweety. Yeah. And I love how we begin with a familiar gag. It works here because as an audience member, like, okay, yep, conventional Sylvester and Tweety, fair, all good. And then it kind of, it turned, because any other Sylvester and Tweety cartoon, because Sylvester loses balance, he falls, Tweety gets away. Any other cartoon, it'd be like, okay, and I'm on to the next gag. But this yeah. short gives the question, but what if Sylvester actually thought he ate Tweety? What if he yes. actually thought he did it? 
And that just takes us to a whole other lane of what a Spencer and Tweety cartoon could be. Because that's the that's the end of Tweety. So it really evolves. Tweety gets away, says, oh man, he looks really hurt. I'm going to bounce. And that's how we see yeah. Tweety for majority of the short. This is a Sylvester yeah. short more than anything. The rest of this is sticking with Sylvester. And because Sylvester awakens to see feathers in his mouth and he thinks he finally got Tweety. Tweety, even if we see Tweety escape. And then the rest of this short is him having to live with the consequences of finally getting the bird. And it's it's really well done because he gets out and we see him running away and, and, and against the fence. And we see Ben Frommer as Hitchcock talking. He's like, well, you finally did it. Yeah, you finally got rid of that little blue-eyed menace to society, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. And you fight and all the while you something along the lines, but he's basically says you've committed murder. <laughs> it's just there's like murder. Nah, come on. No, I, I, I did it. All, all alley cats do this. Is that murder? It's, it's whatever. Yeah, but but it's just what's great about this entire cartoon is just the way that happenstance fuels paranoia. Because as Sylvester passes a newsstand, he sees a headline on the police tailing the cat, which we find out is the name of a cat burglar. But he thinks it's about him. He thinks police are looking for him. Yes, he, he thinks that police have, are trying to bust him for murder, which, unless it was a person, I mean, he's going to be all right. But he, he, the paranoia and anxiety is getting to him because he doesn't know what he did was right. And he has the sort of moral obligation of, even if he is hungry and he eats birds, he still doesn't want to hurt anyone. And... You know, and it doesn't help that Ben Fromer is piping in going, you murdered someone. And it, that can't help anyone if you're in a monologue as Hitchcock uh, blaming you for everything. But, um, yeah, um, there, a lot of this is Sylvester in what I can only assume is his house or someone's house trying to distract himself. But there's a great gag that I only got like on this watch, honestly. But it's... Um, uh, him turning on the radio, like, I gotta get away with this. And he turns on the radio and then... And, and now your local company will present gas chamber music for... I, 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 I mean your local gas company will present chamber music for your enjoyment. <laughs> that's just dark enough to work, isn't it? Yeah, that's, um... That's a gas... That's a lethal gas joke. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sylvester cooking. Got a laugh out of me. <laughs> yeah, and also love... There's a little animation thing here. I love when Hitchcock says, uh, so you got away from the law, didn't you? And Sylvester gives a little nod. I like the nod. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? What? It reminds me of the Who's Line scene, Hey You Down There, <laughs> where the whole thing, it's Ryan and Colin doing something like really dumb, and it's and it's Greg Groove's like, well, boys, you finally are going camping, aren't you? I bet you didn't pack your supplies, and it's just and things like that. And, um... But I just thought, just Sylvester nodding at him like that. It's like a demented, suspenseful game of Hey You down there with Hitchcock instead of Greg Groobs. It's like, well, you boys are finally going camping, aren't you? I bet you're not going to want to murder someone. (laughs) Quick, get hold of the knife and don't do any murdering with it. And that's exactly what would happen in a Ryan and Collins scene. One of them would try to kill the other. Um, it's happened before. Oh, I'm sure. Like like a lot of the early sound effects games that Ryan and Colin would play would have body counts. <laughs> and people would just, like, like, after a while, Clive Anders was like, how demented are you people in this game? 
Like there's one. There's one of my favorites um, where it's Colin at a fairground, and and he, and he's 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 doing the little like, like there's one where he's doing the little the shooting gallery, and it's like the the little like he tries one and just makes a little popping sound. Like, so he picks up another one. He's, he's just really frustrated. He picks up another one. And he just smiles. <laughs> he just starts shooting things, and then he realizes he shot a person, and he yeah. runs away. Uh, um, so I yeah, do. No, it's, yeah, um, I do love because music doesn't anything. So he gets a book, and I just yes. love the delivery. He's like, once upon a time, there lived three birds: a mama bird, a papa bird, and a cute little blue-eyed baby bird. And a sweet little blue-eyed blue baby. <laughs> He just throws the book. It's like, God, in the rain. <laughs> it's a lot like Birds Anonymous, where all the things he uses to distract himself don't yeah. help at all. Yeah. But he doesn't have, he doesn't even have uh, Tweety as a foil this time. It's all him. And, and obviously Ben Fromer, but it's really all him. And I do love the timing of, of him pacing around and, and Ben Fromer if you keep doing that, you're going to wear through the, 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 the floor. Oh, and then the immediate, the, the timing on him like falling through the floor is great. Yeah, we then get an infamous moment, one that I yes, certainly see the much gift um, Sylvester with six cigarettes in his mouth downing coffee, which is one that has been <laughs> memed to this day. It's even funnier in the context with the it little is. music it of is. just the little fluttery. Like, duh, 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 duh. And then the shot of Sylvester trying to sleep is, yes, very reminiscent of the similar montage from Birds Anonymous. But mm -hmm. the shadows, the editing, the music, the pull-in on sleep-deprived, hysterical Sylvester. It's great. It's honestly more atmospheric here because you see him having a nervous breakdown at all his own thought. Yeah. And then there's this scene that I believe was, was cut out of, you know, some airings because... It's, I wrote down here, oh God, is this the one where Sylvester ODs on sleeping pills? Because that's essentially what he does. He runs to the, to the bathroom. Well, I like cabinet. that he tries throwing some under his arms, like it's deodorant as well as sleeping pills. <laughs> yeah, Rich just Because that's a thing that's sold. Sleeping pills to have him sleep, which, uh, okay. And, um. Sure. And, uh, and anyway, right, he loses his will. And he slams on the ground and says, listen, I'm just a putty tap. And it's around here that I wrote down. The, okay, I think you got this before I did. But this is the moment where I went, wait, this is a spiritual sequel to Birds Anonymous. Yes. Like, I think even the animation is from Birds Anonymous. I think that's how, like... A little. Yeah. yeah. But, um... I mean, what's that? Uh, the the Freeling to Patty cartoon with reused animation? What? But it's not much. Yeah, so this is where, you know, he's talking with Hitchcock. And Hitchcock convinces Sylvester that maybe he Why just... don't you turn yourself in? Yeah. Uh, you'll notice that my Hitchcock impression is slowly turning into Zoidberg. <laughs> Why don't you turn yourself in? There's plenty of things where you could do down there. I've <laughs> I've always known it's Sally Zoidberg, but go on. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine instead of Hitchcock giving him advice, it's like, 
You just hear you just hear Sylvester pacing around, and you just hear, "Why don't you get some food? There's plenty down at the trash can." <laughs> That's what I've been saying. <laughs> They'd actually be really good friends, Zoidberg and the, Sylvester. The, there, there's a crossover. Like we didn't need that Simpsons Futurama crossover. We need the Looney Tunes Futurama crossover. <laughs> No, Sylvester goes over to Zoidberg. He's like, "Have you got any birds?" And and Zoidberg just takes twenty out of his mouth. <laughs> Which one, black, red, or seedless? <laughs> uh, I just love Sylvester's delivery of "Yes, I'll throw myself on up on their mercy." <laughs> it's great. This is a great one for Mel. Is doing some oh really gosh. good acting as Sylvester. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we have this sort of rush of guilt that leads Sylvester back to Granny's house, yelling, I did it, only to see that Tweety is still alive and unharmed. And the second that he comes to terms with, like, wait a minute, he's still alive, I can kill him again, Granny, like, beats him up and throws him out. And then we have this ending that you were really happy over in, in Messenger. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, but this ending. It's, I like this ending a lot. Um... Where it, we, we, we bring back the Hitchcock bear doing like an ending sort of monologue, and it's like, you know, the bard says the, uh, something along the line, like trying to do a moral, trying to, you know, make it all worth something. And in the middle of it, we just hear Sylvester go, ah, shut up, and throw something at him, which gives him a lump on his head, which is worked into the outline behind him. <laughs> and he just walks up, good evening. <laughs> That's where we end. We ended on just a very funny, like, Hitchcock presents joke, and. Honestly, I think that's the perfect way to end this because it's it's well bookended. It's revolting against Hitchcock for giving him all the bad advice. It's great. Oh man, I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is another John Donne one that I really like. Yeah, how about that? The atmosphere, the shadows, the Hitchcockian feel of the piece, the more dramatic struggle Sylvester has, also trying to. Remember to throw in jokes. Even Ben Fromer as Hitchcock, while on the nose at times, provides a very dramatic and fun feel to this. I just, this one surprisingly holds up from when I watched this as a kid. Mm-hmm. The hell? I know John Dunn can co-write a freeling tweet Sylvester Short and it's good. What's up with that? Yeah. I'm just surprised as you are. I love this idea of, like, what if Sylvester did do it, how would he feel? It's really good stuff here. Very nicely animated for 1961. It's like, goddamn, like it's it's like it's pretty high quality stuff for a time where you know the stu- time like the studio was like shutting down and everything. It's like, ah, did you, did, you know, they, they, they haven't completely lost all their animation. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's still there. They can still do good stuff, even if it is by, direct, yeah. written by John Dunn and Dave Detaigi. Yeah, um, I do have to say. It does take a bit too much in Birds Anonymous. Like I, I, I yeah, get I it. Can agree. I get it. It's, yeah. it's Sylvester having a mental breakdown over something involving Tweety. I get it, but it does take a bit too much for my liking. But I still really did like this one. Oh yeah, it's very good, and I'll admit some flaws, but I, I still really like this one. Just as a more dramatic and more suspenseful way of going about these characters. I think it's a really good trope-defying 
deconstruction of somebody like Sylvester. And I, while it doesn't work as well as Birds Anonymous, I think it's still very good. I am giving it a four out of five. I'm giving it a uh, a, a four point five out of five. Oh, okay. You know what? Screw it. Four point five. Yeah. Because I was giving it a four because I thought you'd give it a three point five. No, no, and no, so no. I'm, I do realize that yes, it is probably worthy of a four point five. So I'm, I'm giving not it a four point five. That cool. Okay. Cool. Amazing. So what do we do now? <laughs> uh, well, this is the part where we would have um, you know people put in their comments. So let's see what people have to say about all six of these. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we have a comment here from the Dave, maybe, at Stalinist Ferret. You see what type of audience brought in, Jordan? <laughs> Wait a minute! You see what Wait a in? minute! Yes. <laughs> I was going to make a Dave, maybe, are you not sure? But, um, no, no, Stalinist Ferret. Well, you, you see what she did? <laughs> I mean, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen the movie Animal Farm, but I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, anyway, they do say, they do comrade, say, um, that Kara Block is great. It, it, it's a fine username, Dave. It is. It's just, it's just so... yeah, it is. Right. Seriously, he said that we're on Cara your Blanc side. Don't great. worry. So Kara Block is great. One of the best post Golden Age era Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's it's great to see effort put into making a Looney Tunes production, and this is definitely one that's pretty high up there. Yeah, and and considering a lot of the other '90s ones, which uh, spoiler, we're gonna get to some other of the '90s ones in a little bit. Um, that one I think uh, is one of the better ones, even though I do like stuff like Box Office Money and insert other ones here and, and Division of the Buddy Snatcher. I think that one's one of the most genuine one's Cara Blanca because it comes from a, lo a love of the movie and also just the love of where they came from as a studio and it's just a really nice one and I'm glad it still holds up all right so let's uh take some time to reflect here this is the 100th episode yes. Jesus Christ <laughs> We've been doing this for a hundred episodes in two and, years, and that's and crazy. A hundred episodes, and people actually listening to it. We recorded the first nine, ten episodes without releasing a single one. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really know what people would think of these. Didn't know what people would think, and the response has... It's, it's honestly been incredible, honestly. I mean, yeah. the fact that... There are no recurring commenters every week who want to give their thoughts, who are supportive of the show. We really appreciate it. We, yeah. uh, people who work on the Looney Tunes know about our show. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's weird. It's very strange that at any moment I could be like, oh, Brookie Pig has anything to say about this? Then message Bob Bergen. It's it's insane. It's a weird power to have. It is. It's a very weird thing to have, and I don't abuse it because that. And thank God, yeah. because that's what I worry about. That's why I'm very, very, and I'll, I'll talk about this now. But I'm very, very, very hesitant to really interact with a lot of the world that we've sort of been open up to, and that that's why. And and look, I'll be very honest about this, Mark. You are a lot better at dealing with people and dealing with people that may be like 
above our status sometimes than I am. I'm, I'm very much the Neil Peart of this podcast in that I, I do the amazing things and then I step back and don't have to deal with people as much. And I, I, I know that people really enjoy us and I'm just not very good at, at, at you know, being the, the patron saint and the spokesman for the podcast as much. And that's, yeah. And I'm thankful, Mark, that you can be that guy a lot of the time because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shy. I have my own social anxiety. I, I, I worry that I'm going to let people down sometimes. And hopefully, that you know, hopefully you guys enjoy us for who we are and however eccentric and, and ridiculous we can be sometimes. And, you know, it, it's, it's very nice that we have this community of people that like what, our, what we do, including people that are actually worth a damn. And, no, no, that, that's, that comes... <laughs> You're all worth it down. I, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> yes. So, to give a little uh, preview of like, oh, well, like, what's next? Are we closing up shop? No, we're not. We're not. Um, no. we, we, we've always said we stop doing the thing when it becomes work, when it doesn't become fun. There have been times where it's felt like work. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. doing, a, doing an episode on the other Groovy Ghoulies and the uh, Goofy Gophers. But we still keep those fun. It's also, it's just a good excuse to hop on and talk every week. That's I mean, like, yeah. we, we've always communicated every day pretty much for years. But it's nice that we can, like, hop on each week and go, like, okay, let's have some fun. You know, let's have some fun. Let's yeah. uh, goof off. <laughs> Yeah, like like it's very much been a space for Mark and I to just sort of throw whatever subconscious things going on in our lives that at least are funny enough to appeal to an audience into the mix and just, you know, it's 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 very much still playtime for us and it's still fresh enough that even 2 years in we still are finding newer and fun things yeah. to do. To the point where, like, like we have gags we've been doing for 2 years now, but we also have stuff like like the various impressions or or Little Richard's quest for food, or newer stuff that we we think will catch on as much as the older stuff, like MC Hammer and um, oh my, and and the Golden Collection drinking game and all of that. Yeah. So yeah, we love doing the show, and we have some exciting stuff coming up. Um, yes, we do. We're there's still leading two movies to look at. Thank God. Yes. Um, leading to the Rabbit Run. Does come down the pike. Space Jam New Legacy. That's literally yes. in 20 episodes. Space Jam New Legacy. The stuff that they keep releasing so we have things to talk about. Yes. Like newer stuff. Even yes. King Tweety. Yes. There's every- also one that we're going to cover in a little while um, that is less of a cannot- canonical. All right. It's canonical. It's less of a pure Looney Tunes movie and more of a movie that we need to talk about involving the history of the Looney Tunes. And we're not going to say what it is, but we're just going to say we both absolutely adore this movie, and yeah. any excuse to talk about this movie is a good excuse to talk about Yes. It. And it's one that you all love, too. Yeah. So. And um, will there will we um, col- collab with others? Maybe. I have no idea. Maybe. I don't know. It depends. I mean, it depends. I don't know. Like, I could message a Looney Tunes podcast that's not us to come on. Wouldn't that be something? But in terms of what else we're going to do for the show, I mean, of course, we're going to look at shorts. We're 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 not done looking at shorts. There's too many shorts to to, to count. 
Um, but we're also going to do some, you know, some like looser stuff, stuff that really can't be discussed in the conventional way, like Looney Tune music. And we have a lot of little ideas that we're thinking of for the future. And we also have ideas for a little uh, mini uh, commentary series because we've been enjoying doing these um, Jay Ward ones. And there is another one of those coming up. Oh, yes. Soon, if not next. Next week. Oh, it is next week. Okay, cool. Well, that makes it easy because next week is one that I think that we're all really excited to bring you, which is the one that we... Mm, how do I best put this? Um, we're doing a commentary on The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, and it's a, an episode... It, it's, it's a movie that differed very much in quality from what any of us thought it was going to be. And I think that people are going to really be interested in what we have to say about that movie and hopefully it's not too controversial but yeah no we um i don't think we're going anywhere anytime soon we love what we do we love that you guys hopefully still love what we do and um this is still really fun and i'm glad that you guys have gotten so much out of it yeah so for the for next for the next show no not next week next week's yeah. commentary for the episode 101 officially yeah episode 101 Ah, what's the best way to put this? You know, we just said, you know, oh, we love you guys. Love you guys, love us. Next two weeks, we're going to go to hell. It's about time we go to hell. We've oh. offended way too many people. <laughs> no, no, that's literally the theme. The theme is hell. Okay. Um, oh, okay. If, it has the, <laughs> if it's got the devil in it, it's in. So um, the ones we're covering in two weeks are Sane's Waiting. The whole idea, and one that we referenced uh, recently, uh, Devil's Feud Cake. Yeah, one of the very early uh, compilation shorts, which will be interesting to cover. Um, it also led to Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie. Um, huh. So that'll be interesting uh, in some ways. Um, but yeah, no, it's I'm down for the theme like that because I. Memories of some of those in that one, especially Satan's Waiting Proper. Yes. yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for that in two weeks. So, that's the end of this week's double-sized episode. See, see, it, we didn't plan that there would be an off week next week, but that's a good thing for us, because, my God, yeah. yes. <laughs> like, Woo! Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to Lancaster in a couple of days, so I'm feeling fine. I'm going <laughs> to nice. kick it with the Amish. Um, <laughs> Enjoy. I will. All right. So that's the end of this week's show. If you'd like to keep up with us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mark Hallam1995. And you can also follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast or give your thoughts for next week's episode, you know the one. Uh, you can follow at that underscore loony or type in the podcast title. We are the first result. You can also find our podcast wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Player FM, Anchor, Stitcher, Amazon Music, many more, and maybe more will even be added in the next 100 episodes. All right. So until next week, I'm Mark. And I'm Jordan. And after 100 episodes and 100 both good and bad times, I am ready to commit murder. Good night. <laughs>